Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network the young boy Joshua Smith here with Jeremy Donovan. On today's show, we will be discussing nights four through seven of the World Tag League, answering your questions and covering all the latest news in the world of Japan Pro, New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. This episode of Keeping a Strong Style is brought to you by powerslam.tv. If you're a fan of independent wrestling, Powerslam TV has over 6,000 hours of wrestling from companies across the world. Just enter the promo code socialsuplex for your free month of powerslam.tv. And make sure you check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. Boom. Young boy on the intro this week. Only only a couple botches. <laughs> what would you give that uh, that intro star rating wise? I think a four and a half. Oh, I, I was thinking like a, a solid four. That's like a solid no, four. It four, was four, better four. than the last time you did it. Way better. <laughs> four, four and a quarter. <laughs> I don't know. That was pretty good. I'm four four and a half. Oh my god, that's crazy. Yeah. That's like a that's like a high end G one match. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a match of the year uh, qualifier. <laughs> Not uh, this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, but, yeah, also, with the Pro Wrestling Tees, they're in the middle of their um, 10 days of Black Friday sale. So, all Social Suplex merch will be 20% off. So, you can get your Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt 20% off. Just go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. There is no uh, coupon code. Just go to the site, pick that Keeping It Strong Style shirt, and check out. Yeah, man. Why does it got to be Black Friday. That's just just what it is, man. Us Friday. (laughs) For the culture Friday. For the culture Friday. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Moving the culture Friday. So, uh, kick things off. uh, Got a question here from front of the show. Ben Schaefer. He says, my question is for Josh. Why did you have to put me on blast like that last week? Because you deserved it. (laughs) (laughs) You deserve it. 
You deserve it. Yeah, man, that's what you deserve. <laughs> oh, man. Come to a wrestling show. Come hang out with your boys. Hit us up. Call us. Text us. Don't don't be. I already I already addressed this last week. Let, let's <laughs> let's move on. We, uh, so we were even uh, kind of teasing it. End of the year awards. We literally just uh, a few minutes ago have just finalized all the categories, all the nominees for our third annual awards. We'll be recording the uh, the bonus episode tomorrow, and it'll drop at the end of this week to explain all the categories, all the nominees, and we'll have the link out for voting when that episode drops as well. Yeah, this was basically the uh, Sonata Okada G1 match of uh, award season because we came in just under the time. (laughs) But it ended up perfectly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I feel really – Strong and confident about uh, this year's awards. I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, recording the preview show, hearing your guys' voices, your votes. Um, this is one of the few years where um, the majority of the votes I actually don't feel confident about who's winning. Uh, most years, I think with about about a ninety percent accuracy, I feel very strong. Like this is who's winning. This is who's winning. It's pretty right. I mean, like last year, I think we were. Like, already locked, like, oh, Kenny's winning wrestle of the year, like, hands down. This year, like, even though I said a couple weeks ago, like, Osprey should win, like, it's still wide open. It it depends on what your criteria is, depends Mm -hmm. on what you're judging based off of, and it depends on what the, what the, you know, fans say, what the uh, voices of the voiceless (laughs) have to say. Uh, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I can't wait to get all your uh, your votes in, all your uh, fan interaction. We want to make this the biggest awards show that we've done yet. So please, when you see these, share them, review them. What 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 do they need to do? Share them? Yeah, share, vote, share. So you know, obviously, we'll drop it in the New Japan Reddit. It'll be on our Twitter at ki strong style. It'll be in Facebook, Facebook.com/slash/social-suplex. And the Wrestling Squared Circle, facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. Also, you know, anywhere I can post this thing, I'm going to post it so that you guys can um, get your votes in and share it with your friends. Even if your friends don't listen to our show, uh, we want all New Japan fans. Um, share it in your wrestling fan groups, in your group threads, in your chats, in your discords, on your Facebook. and Everywhere. Everywhere. Just, uh, you know, get it out there because we want more interaction than we've ever had before. And we're really aiming for this year's um, year-end shows and Wrestle Kingdom preview and review to be, like, the biggest shows we've ever done. Uh, historically, that's always been the case. And uh, we're on the road to the Tokyo Dome, man. Yeah, man, it's great. But, um, you know, before we can get to the Tokyo Dome, we have World Tag League. Womp, womp, Actually, I think I might have something on here uh, that might work. Let's oh my see. god! This uh, man's playing. With, this man's. This man's been waiting to to, <laughs> to bring out some sort of sound effect from uh, the roadcaster. Let, let's let's try this. <laughs> Can we like preset stuff into that? Yeah, that, that's a preset. Oh man, <laughs> that's how our intro is plugged into. Dude, we need to start. We need to upload <laughs> some stuff in there. Oh my god! You ever listen to uh, the Joe Rogan podcast? No. Oh, okay. He's got he's got this uh, sound engineer. Uh, he calls him Young Jamie, who's um who's at, do you do you remember Billy Mays? Oh, the uh, Shamwild guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like his son and I used to play a lot of uh, like shows together, like out here on just like in the 
independent like music scene or whatever. And like him and Jamie are friends and like they're both big time like wrestling fans, which is also kind of kind of weird. But yeah, yeah, young you're you're our young Jamie. <laughs> I'm the young boy and you're the young Jamie. Yeah, but so uh, yeah, World Tag League uh, nights four through seven are what's currently available right now in NJPW World. All these shows were video on demand, meaning they got up on New Japan World a day after they actually aired. No uh, English commentary, no Japanese commentary, and limited uh, camera production. So, yeah. uh, a step above what we used to get, we used to get the single cam. Yeah. And these are definitely multi-cam and more than just like, you know, it's more than just two. We're getting uh, several cameras, but I mean, it, it's a stark contrast to what you're used to seeing from uh, New Japan. I What's weird is like, I remember there being shows like this last year for World Tag League, but I feel like, and maybe I'm mistaken, I don't know. I feel like the video quality was a little better last year. Am I wrong on that? Or maybe I'm just remembering uh, it? I feel like is it's that the same? about the same. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's been a year. A lot. It's been a long year. Yeah, it has been. <laughs> Especially going through those awards. It's like, yeah, a lot's happened this year. A lot, yeah. <laughs> uh, before we dive into, uh, you know, talking about these teams, a uh, question from Reddit user Rambone Slam Pig, and he says, why do we perpetually go through the year with only one or two functioning tag teams when there seem to be some good combinations sitting there who aren't otherwise occupied in programs? Well, that's a great question, but um, is that actually a factual statement is what I'm wondering. I mean, do a lot of these tag team combinations not have things to do throughout the year? Well, as I scroll through, so obviously like Finn Juice, David Finley was injured a majority of this year. I mean, Juice Robinson almost always has some sort of viable program. He's usually in the you know U.S. title picture, some kind of tournament picture. You can, you can make an argument for Hanma and Makabe, I guess, but it's Hanma. Yeah. It's Makabe. I mean, do you want to see them wrestling G.O.D.? Uh, Ishii and Yoshihashi, I feel like Ishii is always in some kind of, he's usually in an ever program. Yoshihashi is usually in some sort of program, to, not as to the same extent, but I mean, he's always doing something. Uh, Tenkozi, who has been really good in this tournament. I mean, I mean, we, we've gotten we've gotten nostalgia runs from Tinkozi in the mm. the past years already. So yeah, you can dust them off every once in a while. They're almost sort of like the Liger Tiger Mask of this division. But I mean, that's really all it is. Is like you can give them like what one title match a year. They're not a viable long term tag team uh, contender sort I, of. Deal. I will say I do think potentially dangerous techers could be a team that. Was unutilized. And I know Zach is the Rev Pro British champion, and he's usually defending that, or he's in a singles program, and but, so, so is Tai Chi. But you also have to keep in mind that there's other things to consider, like the J Cup, like the G1. I'm sorry, not the J Cup, the New Japan Cup, mm-hmm. and the G1. And then you have your big shows like King of Pro Wrestling and Power Struggle and. 47th anniversary and you know the g1 supercard and these guys all had stuff to do on those shows for the most part so it's not like I, you could you you definitely could work in a program with dangerous techers or even suzuki and saber yeah but i mean they were pretty well, busy I, well i feel like suzuki and saber did team a lot exactly throughout this year they did yeah um, and I think it's probably it's one of those things where, at the end of the day, I don't think tag team wrestling is a draw for New Japan. It could be. It's it could, just not a priority. Right. I mean, obviously, if they built it up well, it could be a draw. 
But obviously the big singles matches are what draw, what people clamor for. This has never been a tag team centric company. Even going back to the seventies and eighties, it's never been the way that say hypothet like if when you compare it to all Japan in the nineties and even in modern times, like that's a company that really focuses on its tag team wrestling. And it's also because they didn't for a long time have a secondary belt. So your top stars, the secondary belt was the tag team titles. And so that's what they were focusing on. And, you know, um, when they weren't in the middle of like title programs, they would be kind of going for that. Plus in comparison, historically speaking, all Japan pro wrestling is a much more, I don't want to say sports centric in the sense of the wrestling style, because it's never been as, um, sports centric when it comes to the in-ring action. It's always been more that classic NWA sort of style of wrestling. Uh, it, it derives it, all Japan drives its roots from like uh, Southern style. But with that being said, when it comes to angles and promos and characters, all Japan has always been very, especially under Baba, extremely sports centric yeah. to where there was n- almost no angles. It was literally, it's actually very similar to like, um, like St. Louis wrestling from like the seventies, like where it was literally just about the in-ring product. So that kind of lent itself to being able to have a strong tag team division. Whereas here, there have definitely been some some strong uh, time periods, especially in the '90s. You had some really, really good, uh, strong tag teams, and and a little bit more emphasis on it. But I mean, the last decade, no, not really. Yeah. So I mean, that's just the bottom line. I mean, yes, you could, but I mean, it's not like, um, you know. And then we always talk about it, like when when you have a, a junior division and a heavyweight division it kind of does weaken it dilutes what could potentially be there so i mean for better or for worse that's kind of what you get and i mean and i, and I do feel like throughout the year we do see more junior tag stuff than we do heavyweight tag stuff and so once again that would just be honestly i think that's the answer right there you unify the junior and heavyweight divisions and then you you have more you you have more spotlight there it's true but it would also cause a dramatic shift in the perception of the junior heavyweight division where uh, and by division, I mean like the separation between the two classes. And I mean, that would, that would take a huge seismic shift in the booking philosophy of Gato and upper management. So, I mean, I, I'm not expecting that sort of thing to happen, but I mean, yeah, you would have a much stronger tag division if you had God as well as Rapongi 3k as well as birds of prey and the bullet club and mega coaches. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, yeah, but a good question. uh, Rambones, uh, but it, to answer your question, I don't think that there are times where a lot of these guys are not occupied. A lot of the guys on this uh, roster that are here are usually doing things. Right. So, I mean, the, the short answer is, honestly, if you if they really were to emphasize tag team wrestling, I think they would actually need to, like, maybe eradicate one or two of the belts. Maybe get rid of the trios titles. Maybe get rid of a U.S. or never or even, God, for say, or, you know, God forbid, the IC title. And kind of elevate the tag division because it's hard to showcase it if it's like one of the bottom barrel titles in the in the company. Right, and like the tag titles, like I don't think the tag titles could main event a big show. They're just not that level. You know, maybe like a Cork and Hall show, but not right now. But if if you had a similar situation to the way All Japan used to do it, where your top guys were competing for that title, and then you had strong tag. Uh, Similar to like, and I hate to do this, I think it's the first time I've ever done it, but like similar to what you're seeing in AEW, 
to where like everyone kind of wants that prize. Uh, case in point, the the Jericho storyline they just did the other week with him and Sammy Guevara against SCU. Um, that's that's a good example. And WWE used to do this back in the early 2000s as well. Like top stars wanted those tag belts, right? Even the even like some of the late 2000s, like when uh, Cena and Shawn Michaels are tag team champions, Jericho like and Big Show, Big Show stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, Edge um, and Orton. Exactly. I mean, so I mean, you know, we saw like we saw that the tag teams can draw. Case in point, um, Golden Lovers against uh, the Young Bucks. Right. But you would have to kind of change things a bit. I mean, who wouldn't who who thinks that the the mega aces wouldn't draw if really given the push. Yeah, and I mean exactly. I mean, especially like during that time period like when Okada was kind of like trying to find himself again, like him and Tanahashi like going after the world tag team titles could have been a great storyline twist to kind of diverge him from single stuff for a while. Yeah, I think the answer there is like not putting together two random guys from the lower levels of a um of, of a stable, but maybe putting two of the top guys together, you know, who wouldn't want to see Shingo and Naito as a tag team going for the tag belts? Because then you're like, oh, you know, and actually um, to kind of relay that point. I mean, we sort of saw that uh, last year when LIJ or yeah, um, LIJ Sonata and um, evil defended their belts against who was it, it was Okada and uh, I'm blanking right now. It was Okada and somebody. Yeah. And they challenged for the titles. Um, it, you know, it was it was Goto. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it was Goto, and that was because you know they were challenging for their never and their and IWGP. IWGP. But like that, that was something that headlined a show because they had big stars. So I mean, it's all about star power. At the end of the day, I mean, if if you had, you know, for instance, let's say from Bullet Club, if you had Jay White and Kenta going for tag titles, that would probably draw. Right, yeah, but, but, J.Y. and Kenta versus Mega Aces, or, you know, Mega Aces versus Sabre and Suzuki. Again, not that he's here anymore, but the Golden Lovers were an example of how you can do this sort of thing. Right, yeah, two Mega guys, Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, all together. But at the end of the day, we're talking about things that are never going to happen in this <laughs> company. <laughs> so, we might as well, uh, you know, come back down to reality and talk about the World Tag League as it is. Yep. And so, uh, next question from uh, Muzza, he says... How have your guys' day been? He said he struggled to keep up with the tag league. Which matches do you fully recommend? Well, um, it's definitely been a struggle. We're seven nights in, and um, I got to say that this definitely has been a drop in quality from the first uh, three nights of the of the tournament. Yeah, the first three nights, the three live shows were pretty good. There were some bangers on there. And then we got to these uh, VOD nights in some of these smaller arenas, some of these smaller cities, and uh, just not quite as good. So, I mean, we're going to go, we're going to talk about all these teams. And and it, and it does feel like last year when we had the World Tag League, we we anticipated the first few Cork and Hall night shows to be good and then there to be a, a, a drop-off. And I think what surprised us was that there was not as steep a drop-off as we're used to. Right. And then when this tournament started and it was so good in the beginning, I was like, oh, we're getting more of the same. <laughs> but then the drop-off came and it was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I forgot that this can happen. Right. And, and at the end of the day, World Tag League is about a few different things. Number one, it's about filling up time, filling up dates before they get to the Tokyo Dome uh, with something that is quote-unquote meaningful, meaning the World Tag League. But number two, it's about protecting guys, making sure they don't get injured, 
making sure that they get enough rest for the big shows that are coming up, uh, making sure they don't blow up any sort of like programs or any big matches come dome time. And so that's one reason why it's not even so much that people are being lazy, so that they have to be cautious, they have to be careful. Right, you don't want to, you know, blow your knee out in the World Tag League. Yeah, you're, you're in, you know, the other side of Japan and some l- little gymnasium and, and you, you pull a, a Finley and blow out your shoulder and now your year's done. Like, right, you miss Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to do that. So uh, you can definitely see a change in the pace and the uh, style match. Uh, there's definitely been a few matches that have been good, but nothing to my recollection that even approaches the level of quality of matches we were seeing in the first three nights, honestly. Right, and we're going to go th- go through these teams, and we'll point out anything. I don't a- think that there's a highly recommended match for me at all. No. Out of e- I, I, any of these four nights. I think there was like one or two three-and-a-halves. A few three-and-a-halves if, if you want to spend some time go, you know, going out of your way to check some three-and-a-half matches, but... Nothing higher than that. Nothing. So, so yeah, so we're going to go through the teams. We're going to start at the top of the leaderboard, and this is based off of the uh, point standings after night seven. I know night eight has happened, but it has not been up on New Japan World yet, so we're going off the night seven, night seven standings. So on top of the block, we have uh, David Finley and Juice Robinson with 10 points. Yep. And on night four, uh, Finn Juice they defeated Hanma and Makabe. On night five, they defeated Tanahashi and Toa Hanare. And on night six, they defeated Shingo and Terrible. So after losing one match, they've kind of gone on a, a run here. They just won three in a row on this streak of shows here. So what have you been thinking about Finn Juice? Well, you know, as we expected, Finjuice is one of the favorite teams in this uh, tournament. We expected them to be high in the point totals, and that seems to be the case uh, so far through, uh, you know, seven nights. And, you know, consistently night in and night out, I would say this is one of the best teams. Um, I'm not ready to put my stamp of MVP on them just yet because they haven't had the uh, the quite high heights of, say, a dangerous techers. Yeah. But... Consistency-wise, consistency, <laughs> rants, consistency, um, they have to be considered, in my opinion, one of the most consistent teams night in and night out. Um, I mean, all these matches are around 10 minutes long, 11 minutes. They're, they're not getting a, a whole bunch of time. Very fun, very athletic, very competitive matches. I like the uh, double-team moves that Finley and Juice have come up with, the, the cohesiveness of them as a team. And uh, they, they seem to have, you know, just kind of be on a roll, have a lot of momentum. But nothing here that blows my world apart or right. away. I, I wouldn't recommend any of these matches, honestly. I mean, they're all good three-star affairs. Like like you said, like the eight to ten-minute range. Kind of go out there, you know, don't overextend their welcome. Uh, but, I mean, they're having fun. They're They're motivated. They have the matching gear. This seems to be the most over that I remember Finju. Not that they weren't over last year, but this is the most over the team has seemed to be with the uh, various different Japanese crowds uh, that I can remember. And that that's coming through even with the limited production value. So, I mean, um, that's the nice thing. when you, Even though we don't have the full production and we don't have the commentary, you can actually get a better gauge on the crowd reactions that you're way. Right, because you're focusing more in on the crowd and not the, the announcers. So yeah, the the crowd's been very you know receptive to Finn Juice and even against a popular team like T- Tanahashi and Hanari, obviously they got Tanahashi there, or even Shingo and Terrible. Um, 
every match they've been in, they seem to be the favorite team, uh, you know, w- when it comes to crowd reaction. So, I mean, that's one thing to really take note of. And it's surprising because they didn't even get voted as one of the um, teams that in that Japanese poll. Right, in that fan vote, yeah, that we talked about last week. But it seems like they're really getting the crowd behind them, and they're coming off like stars, I would say almost more so than any other team in the tournament so far. Uh, and, you know, it, it's simple booking. You, you, book, you book a team to win, and they get over. Right. They're, they're winning. They have the matching gear. They have... New T-shirts, team T-shirts. Good look. Uh, yeah, good luck. Their promo uh, have been good. And uh, Juice did actually mention about being fat in one of his backstage promos. What did he say? Because um, they were talking about, you know, how they, they're doing better than last year. And Finley's like, I'm not fat anymore. And Juice is like, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, this is still my pick to win the tournament. And, uh, you know, it, it might seem too early to say that. And, you know, many, oftentimes New Japan will call an audible. They'll have a team go on an early run and then kind of, um, you know, drop off towards the end. Right. But other times we've seen examples like LIJ the last two years where they, they start strong, they finish strong, and they, <laughs> they win it. And right. it, that's what it feels like is happening with Finjuice in my estimation. Yeah, we did have a question here from Reddit user just a little bear zero one. Finjuice is off to an amazing start in this tournament. So when is Go- when is Gato going to crush my hopes and dreams? Well, as we discussed um, when we did our preview for this tournament, they're factored into those what looks like to be top two uh, matches at the end of the tournament. So they're going to be in contention all the way to the end. So during the final night, night 17, that's when it's probably going to come to a halt, if at all. Right, but I, I'm still very confident, I think you are too, that Finjuice is going to be the team that wins this thing. I f- yeah, last year, I think last year my pick was uh, uh, well, um, Killer Elite Squad. Yeah. I was off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last year I went with Evil and Sonata. Oh, you know what? That's an angle that we could discuss. Um, the Young Bucks showing up and uh, inserting themselves in, it. <laughs> in the World Tag League. Yeah. There, we, we may or may not have a new uh, category for... Uh, um, our wrestling awards this uh, New Japan awards this year, so be on the lookout. But uh, yeah, that's everything uh, for me with uh, F- Finjuice. I know we got one other question. Yeah, from Ben, he says, "Other serious question: Has Finley always been this good? I didn't pay much attention to him before, and always saw him as kind of just a guy to eat pins. But so far in the tag league, I feel like he's carrying juice. Um, there could be some truth to that. Do you think he's carrying juice?" I don't know if he's carrying juice, but I definitely feel he's like getting he, showcased. Yes, he's getting showcased more. So traditionally, in previous tournaments or even just previous tag matches with Finn Juice, if they're going to win, Juice is a guy that's getting the, the win, and if they lose, Finley's the guy that's taking the pin. And in this tournament, um, Finley has gotten his uh, fair share of pinfalls and time in the ring um, in this tournament. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know. Ben, this guy has always been really, really, really good. Um, we've always wondered over the past years, like, when they were going to start to capitalize on the talents of uh, Dave Finley. Going back to his young lion days, I mean, he looked like one of the most complete young lions that they had coming out of that class. Um, you know, Juice obviously was a much more polished professional wrestler at that point because he was already fully trained and he, he didn't spend a lot of time as a young lion, but 
Dave Finley, to me, always looked like a guy that was going to be a top guy. And, you know, there have been plenty of things that have happened over the years that have kind of shortchanged him, like Ricochet leaving and uh, various injuries, stop and start pushes, his rivalry with Jay White, where he was made to look like a jobber. But I've never thought that Dave Finley was a guy who um, was just a loser. There was a time, maybe a year or two ago, um, probably last year, where it seemed like he was starting to get complacent, maybe even a little bit frustrated with his booking. Yeah. But... Overall, Dave Finley is a very, very, very solid hand, a very talented guy, and I'm glad that they're starting to showcase him. He looks way more motivated than he has in the past, way in, in, in much better shape. And um, there's always been a little bit of a intangible, like something missing from his package, and it seems like now that's starting to come together. So I hope this is the start of something for him, but ultimately he needs to get over with, with, with the audience. Right, and I think this is exactly what this tournament's for. We mentioned, you know, their crowd reactions have been pretty good here. So, you know, with Finley picking up the fall, I was like, oh, this Finley guy, maybe he's pretty good. And so if he keeps picking up, you know, some of the falls in the in this tournament going forward, especially in the finals, if he's the one that, you know, ends up winning it for the team, I think that's going to raise his stock in the eyes of the uh, fans in Japan and fans over here in the West as well. So, yeah, I think Finley's on a roll. And like you said, he's always been a solid guy. You look back at the, those uh, those Jay White matches that he's had, and some other kind of, you know, spotlight singles matches in the past, and, like, he has the mechanics. He, he just needs to get, you know, the gimmick, essentially. You know, it's funny that Ben's the one who's asking me a question about Finley because uh, when Ben was training to be a wrestler, I was kind of like, for, like, I never said this verbally, but I was like, it kind of reminds me of Dave Finley a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need a Jimmy Flips versus uh, Dave Finley match. Yeah. Dax, book it, Tampa Bay <laughs> Pro. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so yeah, Finley's looking good, and I think Juice is just kind of like hanging in there, like, he's not bad, he's just kind of, you know, he's just having solid performances, he's, he's not going above and beyond. Nobody is, though, right. in all fairness. Right. Um, that, yeah, Dave Finley's the one who knows that he needs to, uh, to make a mark here, so you can tell by the way he's wrestling. Juice has utilized this tournament in the past to do exactly what Dave Finley's doing right now. Juice is a little bit beyond that at this point. This isn't really a star-making tournament for him. It's a, it's a time for him to help his friend kind of make his mark. And then, um, you know, I think the, the future's still bright for Juice. So, I mean, it's it's World Tag League. I give him a pass. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to Evil and Sonata. They're also at 10 points. Um, so on night four, they defeated Jeff Cobb and Mikey Nichols. On night five, they defeated Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens. On night six, they defeated Yuji Nagata and Minobu Nakanishi. And on night seven, they defeated the current IWGP Tag Team Champions, Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatonga, and Tangaloa. Big win. Big win. Yeah. So uh, I feel like Evil and Sonata have um, been uh, pretty good for the most part in this tournament. And that first stretch of shows that we reviewed. I think they only ended up having like one match. And so they had four matches straight here on this uh, tournament. So they're undefeated in this tournament, five and oh. Um, that match on night four, four with Cobb and Nichols, um, that's a three and a half one I'd put out there for you to kind of go and watch. That one stood out because there was a point in the match where it looked like Cobb and Nichols were about to take the fall. Mm-hmm. And then and then they were resilient. They kicked out. 
And then the match kind of kicked into another gear and just kept going and going. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a little bit more than what I'm used to getting from some, the rest of these tag league uh, matches on the, these nights. Um, at 13 minutes, 15 seconds, I would say it's one of the few matches to go out of your way and probably check out if you just are cherry picking the tournament at this point. Yeah. Um, really, really good, solid uh, showing from uh, Cobb and Nichols and Evil and Sonata were consummate professionals there. Yeah. Uh, just yeah, really solid match, and also we'll talk about Cobbs and Nichols later. But I think they've just been kind of gelling well together as a team, and um, one of the standouts. Yeah, and so two of the better teams in this tournament, and had a really great match that night there on night four. Uh, I mean, night five and night six. I mean, they were wrestling two of the, um, I guess you could say, worst teams that is in the tournament right now. Um, Folly and Chase, like we've mentioned last week. Fale is going to Fale, Chase is going to work hard, but essentially this match wasn't all that good. The, both of these matches were missable. It's important that Yvonne Sonata pick up the, the necessary points, which they did exactly that. Um, you know, I don't want to spend too much time talking about these matches, but, you know, um, we, we've discussed the shortcomings of the teams involving Fale and Nakanishi. So, I mean, uh, kind of move on beyond that. But Yvonne Sonata... They, they did the best that they could in those matches. I don't think that they necessarily dragged those matches down. Although I will say this, there's a slight bit of complacency that I've noticed with the way that they're wrestling in these matches. Right. And that's not, like, it's not um, strange for them to be doing that. I've noticed the last two years when they won these tournaments, the first few nights, they have really good matches. The rest of the tournament, extremely lackluster, just middle of the road, nothing really remarkable, maybe maybe a, a three-and-a-half match here or there. And then the last couple nights, they they turn it up again. And so it leads me to believe we already know Evil and Sonata are going to be in one of those top spots come the end of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, it does make me wonder, is there a chance that they're going to three-peat? <laughs> I mean, based on the way that they're kind of protecting themselves at this point in the tournament. I mean, they could, but they could potentially, yeah, win it for the third year in a row. That could happen. Um, but I, I don't know. I just feel like with that potential Sonata Saber match, uh, I, I feel like they're going to try and take Sonata out of the tag title matches. Match. I agree. But, it, but it, it could happen. I mean, he he could still wrestle Saber on one night and God on another night. So, but their their matches so far haven't really been inspiring to me. I mean, we we know what this team's capable of much higher levels than what what we're getting. Right. But they're and, they're totally fine. And with these guys, I feel like they already have the crowd in the palm of their hands, so they can kind of just hit some of their key spots in the the crowds that they're in front of right now. Will be happy. Well, Sonata is trained by Kiji Muto, so uh, <laughs> that's not surprising. So yeah, so they're definitely kind of you know hitting some of their highlights. The crowd's happy; they're winning. So now Lij against uh, God was fine at you know sixteen or I'm sorry thirteen minutes. It was not the longest match we've seen this this tag team matchup a million times. It was even the finals of last year's tournament. Right, we saw that you know we've seen them multiple multiple times over the years. I mean it's it's not a fresh matchup by any means, but it was the match they always have at three stars. It was totally right. fine. Yeah, gentlemen's three. So uh, let's move on to the next team, also with 10 points. Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi on night four, they lost to Kokobana and Toriyanu. On night six, they defeated Tanahashi and Tohanare. And on night seven, they defeated Tenkozi. Yeah, so um, at this point, Ishii and Yoshihashi... Two of the more talented guys uh, in this, t- you know, um, tournament. 
Um, you know, say what you will about Yoshihashi, and obviously I'm not a fan of Yoshihashi <laughs> whatsoever. But this team between him and Ishii, they're they're doing surprisingly well in the tournament. Um, were you surprised to see Toriano and Colt Cabana pick up a surprise victory over them? I was, yeah. I mean, Cabana and Yano, we'll, we'll get to them in a second, but they've been kind of like 50-50 so far, I believe, in this tournament. And, yeah. Uh, Yoshihashi and Ishii, obviously they're, they're top of the block right now. They're tied with the two other, you know, Finn Juice and LIJ. So I was expecting this to be one of those teams that they defeated. Well, but, you know, with a round-robin tournament, anything everybody can happen. It, right. And, you know, that they have to work out the points somehow or another. That's exactly what Yano and Cabana are here to do, is to upset teams and kind of balance the uh, the playing field. So it does make sense. Plus, you know, there's the built-in fact that Yano can pick up win, not only in a tournament, but just in general over anybody. Right. And, and, and plus, too, you can throw in, you know, him and Ishii's team, so... He kind of knows how Ishii operates. That intimate knowledge of how Ishii and Yoshihashi <laughs> wrestle. Those are his teammates. He knows all everything they do. He's, you know, well scouted. So this was fine. I thought this match was funny. Yeah, it was, yeah. and we'll get to Yano and Cabana, but I, I think they've been very funny throughout this tournament. And, um, yeah, they kind of worked well together with, you know, Ishii and Yoshihashi kind of being the serious guys. And then Cabana and Yano kind of clowning around and getting that upset win there. On uh, night six, I think that's an, another three-and-a-half-star match you can watch against Tanahashi and Toru Hanare. We already know the past history with Ishii and Hanare and kind Absolutely. Of the great matches they can have together. Yeah, we, we've seen the feud between Ishii and Hanare. They even had a singles match uh, that very few people saw on night two of the uh, uh, Southern, Southern Showdown. showdown. Yeah. Uh, that match, we actually watched it. It was nowhere near the level of... Um, Matches that they've had singles or multi-man from 2018, but this was a this was a throwback to those matches. We we got Ishii and Hanare mixing it up once again. Um, were you surprised that Hanare like wasn't just a lamb to the slaughter? That he kind of held his own a little bit more than he normally does in this match. Well, I feel like this whole tournament, much like David Finley, Toa Hanare is another guy that's getting spotlighted in this tournament. Obviously, he looks in great shape. He has new gear. He's teaming with the ace. And I feel like in a lot of the matches, he's gotten a lot of offense and has, you know, been involved in helping Tanahashi get the the falls for the team. And, you know, keep in mind, too, you have Ishii and Tanahashi in the ring together. We don't see them wrestle one another very often. But yeah, I feel it's very rare those two mix it up. They have a G1 match from, like, 2016 that is just five-star stellar, one of the best G1 matches in history and um you know when you have two top level caliber talents like that you know mixing it up it just makes a lot of sense plus yoshihashi and tanahashi have a bit of history with one another as well with uh even um at one point last year tanahashi kind of talking about how he wanted to bring uh help yoshihashi and bring him under his wing so right. he wanted him to leave chaos and go under tanahashi's wing yeah so i mean there's a there's a bit of uh built-in story here for those that kind of remember this match was really good um again uh, if you are going to cherry pick something this is maybe one maybe add this to the list along with uh the Cobb Nichols against um Finjuice match that or I'm sorry against uh Evil and Sonata match that we mentioned previously yeah so then moving on to Toriano and Kokobana these guys have eight points nope, we didn't talk about uh Tenkoji Oh, the Tenkoji match with Ishii and Yoshiashi? And it, the one thing I'll say here, not blow away, but the finish to this match with Tenzon and Ishii, incredible. Sounded off. Yeah, that was incredible. great. And if you've ever seen the Ishii-Tenzon matches from, uh, you know, 
just not even that long ago, maybe two, three, four years ago, when Tenzon was a little bit more mobile, uh, especially some of their, their G1 matches and their matches for in the Never Division, uh, this is just a slight taste of what you what 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 we've gotten in the past from a very storied rivalry between these two. And for newer fans, you probably are not as aware that Ishii and Tenzon have quite a uh, heated rivalry. But um, yeah, if Tenzon's last uh, G one, if you can catch the match between him and Ishii, go out of your way to catch that match. It's incredible. Yeah, and I love the strike exchanges between Kojima and Ishii. Um, you know, exchanging in the corner, uh, Ishii doing his like chop elbow combo, then Kojima reversed it into his chop combo, and those guys just kind of firing up at each other. Yoshihashi was there too. <laughs> uh, and let's move on. <laughs> he had some great lariats in this match. He always has. That's the one thing. Say what you will about me as as a podcaster. I know there's some people that are fans. There's some people that are not. <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing I will say is I am fair. I criticize Yoshihashi where he needs to be criticized, but I always, always defer to the fact that he's got one of the best lariats in all of wrestling. Yeah. And it, and it always blows me away because I always forget how good his lariat is because I think he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, post-match, there was a, a little bit of talking smack between um, Ishii and Tenzan Kojima, so... I don't know if they're trying to set something up down the line with these guys or what's going on there, but I would like to get a Tenzan Kojima and Ishii six man title run. I would just like an Ishii Kojima match. Yeah, but think about how dominant that team would be. Like you know, Tenzan and, K- and Kojima really aren't doing much. Like just strap them up, give them the, give them those never six man tag titles, and uh, uh, just throw Ishii on there. You know, yeah, and and he can still like compete in the singles you know whatever but like give them the six mans that'd be dope yeah that'd be a great team so now moving on to Toriano and Colt Cabana they have eight points on night four they defeated Ishii and Yoshihashi on night six they lost to great bash heel Makabe and Hanma and then on night seven they defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi and Toa Hanare yeah so I mean um what is there to say about this team I mean Again, like I mentioned on the last podcast, a lot of the matches they're having seem to be carbon copies or derivatives of the same spots that they have night in and night out. Um, That's one of the shortcomings of when you're watching a tournament like this every single night. Years ago, we weren't able to do that. You know, they didn't. Right. Essentially, these nights would be like the quote unquote house show loop of the tour. And a lot of this we would never see. Right. And they're in different cities. So. The crowd it's in those, for the live crowd. Right. The crowd in those cities, unless they're keeping up with all the shows, they're not seeing those spots. Right. The first time they're seeing those spots when they see them in their city. Now, luckily for us, these, these are two of the funniest and uh, most charismatic wrestlers. So even though I've seen their stuff multiple, multiple times over the years, like I, it still pops me. I happen to be a fan of them. I know many people are not. So if it's not for you, it's not it's not for you. Right. It might not be in your wheelhouse. Right. I'm a fan of both of these guys as well. And both they, these guys. <laughs> both these guys. Uh, but yeah, they have gelled extremely well together. They're two of the best comedy wrestlers going in the game today. And they just work so well together. You know, they have the whole bit where obviously Yano's speaking Japanese and Cabana can't always understand him and they try to do a double team move and Bano throws an elbow or Yano throws a boot and Yano's like, no, no, no. <laughs> and then they try to do the other way and they switch it up. And then finally at the very end, they, they sync up and they do, they both do elbows. And um, yeah, they've been really fun to watch. You know, speaking of when we were talking about both these guys, I think that that might be one of the main reasons why I'm so much more inclined to 
watch, aside from just the fact that we do this show, but uh, Japanese pro wrestling is because there's very little chanting like that. Like, I'm kind of sick of the whole, like, in even though I'm guilty of it when I go to indie shows, <laughs> I'm kind of over the whole, like... Both these guys fight forever. Yeah, just, like, the the Pavlovian... This is awesome. ...inclinations to do these derivative chants and all that. And we don't get that in New Japan, and it's such a breath of fresh air. Like, I love it. I'm just, yeah. I just want to throw that out there. That's my appreciation <laughs> for New Japan Pro Wrestling and, and the Japanese audience. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Yano and Cabana, yeah, they've been hilarious throughout this whole tournament. And obviously, you know, with the taking off the pads and the roll ups and the schoolboys and um, Cole Cabana's Superman pin has been pushed as like this. If, if he hits you with it, you're you're, you're done. Losing. You're losing. And it's been like that in like every promotion, like even on NWA and Ring of Honor when he when he hits a Superman pin, that's it. Well, he's smart. He's an old school wrestler and worker and. That's how it used to work. You hit someone with your finish, they're not kicking out, you know? Right. Scott Hall's not giving you the outsider's edge so you can kick out of it. Like, <laughs> you know, Kenny Omega's not going to hit you with the one-winged angel and have you kick out. Like, if you kick out, then it's, it's, we're going to have problems. But um, <laughs> I did think it was funny. Um, the Yano Kubana match against Tanahashi and Hanari, there was, the fact that they defeated that team, there's always – it kind of reminds me of uh, a few years ago back when uh, Yano upset Tanahashi during the New Japan Cup and, mm. and rolled him up, and I was like, there's always that threat. <laughs> right. And I, th- I believe it was this match that Cabana hit the top rope Superman uh, Superman pin, right? I think so. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a new, a new twist to it. Were you surprised that they lost to Makabe and Hama? Yes, I was. <laughs> uh, you know, Makabe and Hanma, and we'll get to those guys, uh, you know – they're not not one of the better teams in the block right now, and they've lost a lot of matches. And clearly, Cabana Yano, they're pretty close to the top of the block. I would think that would have been a match for those guys to win. But like you mentioned, in these block tournaments, some guys need to win to lose and to get to the right point total. So Great Bash Heel is just one of those teams that need to get a win and Anything offset. can happen <laughs> in the New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so... Them being Tanahashi and Toa Hanari. Obviously, Toa Hanari took the pin there with that uh, top rope Superman pin from Cabana. So, obviously, Toa Hanari is the pin eater to that team. So, that wasn't too surprising. Hanari should have moved. <laughs> I'll move. I'll move. Uh, and then, yeah, defeating Ishii and Yoshihashi, which we kind of talked about, which was kind of surprising. But at the same time, they've, they're established, they've already established Yano, and they're doing it with Cabana now. These guys can beat you. It can beat anyone at any time with a schoolboy, with the Superman pin, a roll-up. Um, so that's what they're doing here in this tournament. They're, they're the guys that are going to upset you. So the next team, we have the team of Jeff Cobb, the current reigning PWG heavyweight champion, by the way, and Mad Mikey Nichols. Yeah, so these guys, they have eight points as well. On night four, they lost to Evil and Sonata. On night five, they Lost to Suzuki and Archer on night six. They defeated Tenkoji, and on night seven they defeated Taichi and Zack Saber Jr. Uh, so this is a team that is um, doing similarly similarly well in the same vein as previous uh, Jeff Cobb tag teams in the World Tag League. Uh, previously, his tag team with him and Michael Elgin. Um, I would have imagined if Elgin was still here, they'd probably be about the same point total at this point. Right. Um, completely different dynamics between Cobb and Nichols versus the dynamics with him and Elgin. 
but I'm really enjoying this tag I'm team. I'm loving it. And, like, you know, we kind of criticize, all right, it's two random guys. You have, you know, an ROH guy just teamed with this random chaos guy. doesn't make uh, a whole bunch, a whole lot of sense, but these guys have been gelling really well together and working really well together. And, um, you know, Mikey Nichols, like we mentioned in the past, he is a, a tag team guy. You know, him teaming with, um, uh, what's his name, from NXT, uh, Shane, Shane Thorne, when they're the Mighty Don't Kneel, they were... Shane Taylor. <laughs> That's uh, the Ring of Honor <laughs> TV champ. Um, but yeah, when him and um, Shane Thorne were teaming together as the Mighty Don't Kneel, they've had some great... They were a great tag team, and I always loved them as a team together. And then, um, you know, Cobb has some tag team history, too. He, um, Him and uh, Riddle, the Chosen Bros, uh, were a great, great tag, tag team. team. And so both these guys have been successful tag teams, and now they're gelling really well together here as a team. Yeah, and then also combine that with Cobb's experience with Michael Elgin, which um, I always really liked their tag team a lot. Like that, that what was, do we call them? Super, super strong team. They they called themselves that on one of on a few promos the first year, and then they never brought it back. Gotcha. I thought we came up with that, but um, no, we did not. <laughs> no, that was literally that was literally the name that they had on the promos. But you know, you never know how canon any of that stuff is really right but um you know this team is is gelling really well even in defeat they're having really good matches um i'm looking at night seven the the match they had with uh dangerous techers i actually expected that to be better than it ended up being yeah same here i feel like they've kind of like They've kind of had some three-star affairs for the most part. Dangerous Techers? No, uh, well, them too, but Cobb and Nichols. Like, after the Evil and Sonata match at night four, everything else was kind of around three stars. Like, they were working really hard, and, I mean, once again, they didn't have a lot of time. Most of their matches were in that nine- to ten-minute range, so maybe if they went longer, maybe it could have been even better. But from what they were given, the time they were given – they perform very well. They they have been teamed up against a lot of teams like Suzuki and Archer and like Dangerous Techers, teams that and Evil and Sonata. Teams that um have more star power in the New Japan promotion. And so they're kind of working almost from like a um like an underdog sort of role, if yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so with that being said, they seem to actually be the ones putting forth a heavier effort in a lot of the matches is what that's my opinion anyways, versus some of the teams that they're wrestling. Not to say that the other teams are dragging the matches down, but they're not putting in, like, you know, top-level efforts. And like you said, these are nine-minute matches. Uh, I do think Cobb and Nichols are trying their hardest to maximize their minutes when they're in the ring. Definitely. That's what I'm feeling like. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, Suzuki and Archer, they're... They're walking and brawling. Yeah, they're fine. They're yeah. just doing their thing. You know, this isn't a big, this isn't a big match. They, they, they've definitely got dates coming up for, you know, the Dome. So, I mean, right. they're, they're fine. And I feel like Cobb and Nichols are both guys who realize, like, we need to, when we're out here, maximize our minutes. We need to show the New Japan offices just how great we are so they can continue to get booked, especially uh, Jeff Cobb with his contract um, coming up very soon. Um, you know, it's v- no secret that he wants to continue to compete in New Japan so I'm sure he'll be looking to get a full-time New Japan contract once his Ring of Honor deal is up. So he wants to continue to impress the New Japan officials. Yeah, but the the high mark match here, like we said earlier, is the Evil and Sonata match. And the rest of these matches, I wouldn't go out of my way to to, to watch. Right. I was surprised to see that they picked up a win over Dangerous Techers. 
Right. I'm actually surprised just how bad in kayfabe sense that dangerous tickers are doing in this tournament. We'll, we'll talk about it when we get there, but yeah. I, I totally agree with you. But um, Cobb did kill Tai Chi with the tour of the islands here. Yeah. It was probably one of the best tour of the islands I've ever seen. Like, he just got great rotation and just killed Tai Chi. It was almost as good as the ones Mantanza Cueto used to do. <laughs> Whatever happened to that guy? I don't know. I stopped watching uh, Lucha Underground during season three. I think a lot of people did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anything else on Cobb and Nichols? I'm looking forward to this team through the rest of the tournament. They're doing pretty well. So, next up, we got Tenzan and Kojima. Ten Cozy. They're sitting at six points right now on... Night four, they lost to Goto and Fredericks. On night five, they defeated Makabe and Hanma. On night six, they lost to Cobb and Nichols. And then on night seven, they lost to Ishii and Yoshihashi. We're going to talk about them, but let me just ask you. Goto and Fredericks didn't win any matches up through night three, right? Uh, no, they defeated Kenta and Yujiro Takahashi. Okay, for some reason, I don't know why. Last week on the show, I... I, I like said that they hadn't won anything and they definitely did win. So that that was their second win of the tournament, right? Right. How surprised are you at the, that team picking up wins with a young line on the team? Multiple wins in this tournament. Initially I was, but if you think about it, they're trying to heat Goto up for the never title match at the Dome of Kenta. So you need Goto to look strong. You need Goto to pick up some wins in this tournament. That uh, makes sense. So initially I was like, oh, wow, they're picking up more wins than I expected. Uh, but there, yeah. there was like a disconnect in my brain last week And then I, I listened to the show and I was like Why am I acting like they didn't win anything They definitely did, like what's wrong with me But um, I was surprised to see them uh, beat Tenkozy on this night But like you said, that makes sense I hadn't thought of it in those terms And then um, they they picked up a win over GBH uh, Dropped a loss to uh, Cobb and Nichols And then uh, dropped a loss to Ishii and Yoshihashi Tenkozy had been fine um, yeah, I mean, I think Kojima, and I know I'm Kojima's Kojima the guy Mark, that's standing but out. Kojima has been working really hard in in this tournament, and even like the backstage comments, Tenzan's been saying, "Yeah, Kojima is holding our team up. Kojima is working so hard. I feel like I'm letting him down, and um, I feel like Kojima is killing it, man. I would love to see him um, get one more singles run, with just the way he's been going right now. I want." Kojima to get one more G1 run Yes His final G1 We never got it We need to get it I think that this is his play To try and uh, prove to the office That he is still in ring shape To to go to do one last G1 And I think that I think next year's the year Yeah I mean Everything he's been hitting is crisp I mean the, the strongest lariat Has been looking great Those um, Koji cutters have been great And he's been working really hard And pushing the pace for that team yeah, and I think we've talked about most of these matches already. Um, but, yeah, like I said, Goto and Fredericks picking up a win over them. I was uh, slightly surprised by that. I thought that match was pretty good. Obviously, the again, the, the interactions, I can't explain just how awesome it was to see Ishii and Tenzan at the end of that match. Really, really, really good yeah, stuff. Ishii killed him with that brain buster. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and Kojima's just hitting all strides. Um you know, at six points, this is a team that I don't expect to do overly well, but I do expect to kind of be in the middle of the pack. That's right where they're at. So, um, yeah. Yep. So, also with six points, we have Great Bash Heel, Togi Makabe and Tomioka Hanma. On night four, they lost to Finjuice. On night five, they lost to Tenkoji. On night six, they defeated Yano and Cabana. 
And on night seven, they lost to Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens. Okay, so this has got to be a team that's in contention for worst team of the tournament. Yeah, so you have on one side, you have Togi Makabe, who's taking as little bumps as possible. And then you have Hanma, who, you know, after the neck injury is just not at um, peak condition to what he used to be. Dude, his arm doesn't work, it feels like. <laughs> so one, he's a one-armed man out there wrestling. He's, he's out there doing top rope uh, kokeshis and missing. missing. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, he's a deathmatch guy, so he's always been crazy. So, I mean, that's just that's the name of the game. Um, you know, they, they dropped losses to Finjuice, uh, Tenkoji. They picked up a team against... Yano and Cabana, and then dropped a loss to the Bullet Club team of Fale and Owens. They're kind of where I expected them to be. The fact that they even picked up wins in the first few nights was very surprising, and it's uh, now that it's kind of balancing out and they're they're starting to drop losses, um, that makes all the sense in the world. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of disheartening just to see the condition that both these guys are in at this point in time. But you know, again, they're they're big stars. They're Really over with the crowd. They're still really popular. They have their their place in the company. So I get it. But you know, this is something where I've not enjoyed. I don't think a single Tin Koji or a single GBH match the entire tournament. Right. They've had. Majority. I don't know if they've had a single three star match. Probably not. They've had a majority of the worst matches of the tournament thus far. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they're as bad as. Nagata and Nakanishi. Yeah, yeah, they're I mean they're about at the same level. But they're about at the same level and they're I mean, we're gonna talk about them, but like Kanten Yujira and G.O.D. Yeah. Not doing much better either. This has gotta be the worst year for bullet club teams. It is. It, it, in this tournament. It's bad. In the past we've had Hangman and Yujiro. They worked really well together. Um what what other bullet club teams have there been that work really well? Can't think of any. Yeah, I'm blanking right now. But yeah, Hangman and Yujiro is one that kind of popped out to me that they worked really well together. But um, yeah, well, let's, let's talk about these bullet club teams. So, God, <laughs> first we got Kenta and Yujiro Takahashi. They're at six points right now. So on night five, they lost to their bullet club brethren Tamatanga and Tangaloa. And then on night six, they defeated Dangerous Techers, Zack Sabre Jr. and Tai Chi. What do you think of these two matches? Man, both of these matches were Bad. pretty rough, man. They Re- were I mean, more than just pretty yeah, rough. Like were, we're talking less than two star yeah, affairs. Abysmal. Uh you know, the bullet club match with G.O.D. This is why this is why World Tag League gets a bad rap. Yeah. It's because of the teams like this and performances like this, and that's why people don't watch it. Yeah, the G.O.D. match, you just had those guys just, you know, doing their, you know, bullet club shenanigans and wasn't really much of a match to be honest. Um, it wasn't even as funny as the Kenta and Yujiro versus Fale and Chase Owens match, and then the Dangerous Tickers match. I expected that match once again to be pretty good with Saber and Tai Chi, but uh, for whatever reason, man, let's look, both of the, both teams just kind of doing a lot of shenanigans and not really working their hardest, and so you just end up with bad match. I liked uh, Ujiro's post-match comments where he was talking about how his pimp cane was cooler than... Uh, tai Chi's microphone. Tai Chi's <laughs> microphone. But that's about it. Like, I really don't... 
Am I doing a disservice to our audience by saying I have almost no words to say about this? Like it just sucked. Yeah, these matches sucked. I mean, honestly, they sucked. Honestly, like they sucked. The <laughs> best thing about these have been like the post match, uh, the backstage uh, comments. Kenta has been hilarious. He's full uh, dickhead Kenta, and he's you know been making fun of Goto. There was, there was a promo after the I forgot which night it was, but like um, you know Goto had said on Twitter like you know Kenta needs to be. Focus on this tag league and not on me, and so Kenta did like this fake Bayface promo. He's like, "Yes, I will. I will focus on this tournament. I, I can't believe I've been distracted. I, I listen to you, Goto." He's like, he walks away and he comes back. He's like, "Are you kidding me?" He's like, "Why is Goto even you know tweeting me and blah blah like just talking trash about Goto?" And he just had some hilarious like backstage comments. Uh, and then you drew the whole you know the pimp stick better than the microphone thing's been funny. But besides that, these guys have not offered much as far as in-ring quality. No, not at all. These are completely, and I would advise you to skip them. If, if, if you're cherry-picking, don't watch these matches unless you're a, com- a completist and you're like, I have to see these, then maybe. But it, other than that, there's no reason. So next up, we move. Oh, and also I just want to say, you had mentioned last week that you found the uh, – the previous Bullet Club match in the tournament to kind of be a bit uh, entertained, which I did too, but I mentioned, did I not, we're going to get this three more times in this tournament. Yeah. And it's diminishing returns, and, you know, it's fine. We get it. It's it's something that they're doing for the live audience, so it works. But for us viewing at home, it does not. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. We definitely would have benefited by having two blocks and keeping the Bullet Club team separate. Agreed. So moving on to the other Bullet Club team, the Girls of Destiny, the current IWGP Tag Team Champions, Tama, Tonga, and Tangaloa. They are also sitting at six points right now. On night four, they defeated Dangerous Tickers. On night five, they defeated Kenta and Yujiro. On night six, they defeated Suzuki and Archer. And then on night seven, they lost to um, Los Ingobernables de Japón, Evil, and Sonata. Yeah, so I mean, um, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, we talked about the Dangerous Tickers and Kenta Yujiro match. the The match with Archer and Suzuki wasn't much better. Bro, it was bad. It once and it was it, the main event. Yeah, it was these guys. They brawled. All they were doing was just walking on brawling throughout the crowd. It, it was hard to even rate it. Like, how, what do you even call it? Right. You know? There was barely any action in the ring. And once they and got... I, I'm oh. sorry. I don't mean to be... I don't want my inner Jim Ross to come out. But, like, how did these guys not get counted out? Why didn't they get counted out? They weren't going for the pin. They weren't going for the... Why, why didn't they get DQ'd? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here, King. <laughs> Red Shoes needs to get a hold of... of <laughs> needs to take charge and... You know, I understand uh, giving a little bit of leeway, but, I mean, this is getting ridiculous. By, by God, I mean, what's going on here? But, uh, no, in all seriousness, um, yeah, G.O.D., I said it, I said it though, um, during the previous show. I said G.O.D. every year does not try during World Tag League. Right. Except once in a blue moon. Which, which, is, which is crazy because G.O.D. has been the New Japan Tag Team of the Year. Depending yeah. depending on your tastes, unless you're a Rapungi 3K, you know, fan and you th- you want to go that way, but from match quality, consistency, accomplishments, and also you know they are probably are the <laughs> the tag team of the year. But this is what God does during 
tag league and it's the same thing that lij does is where like they try hard the first couple nights when they're in corkin and then they just fuck off the rest of the tournament. Right. It makes us look bad because we're like, we tell everybody, yeah, man, G.O.D.'s been having a good year. You know, the match with the Briscoes, you know, they won both belts at the Garden and they're doing all this, you know. They have been having a good year. Yeah. Although they haven't even had very many dance partners. They've been having a good year. But, uh, yeah, they're having a, this is one of the worst tournaments they've had since the first tournament they had when Tingaloa, uh, you know, showed up in New Japan. Yeah, I mean, the only, I mean, the match with LIJ, like I mentioned earlier, three stars. That was the, the, the that's like the best match they had. Yeah. Everything else been like, I mean, the Dangerous Techers match sucked. The one with Kenton Yujiro sucked. The one with Suzuki and Archer was even worse than those, believe it or not. So, yeah. Yeah. There's not much to say. Like, yeah, GOD's fucking off. Yeah. And so, so far in the tournament, they've lost to Evil and Sonata, and they've lost to Yano and Cabana. So, I guess that's setting up potentially future uh, challengers or setting up a way to get a, a triple threat or fatal four-way out of this thing at the Dome. Yeah. Uh, we did have a question from, uh, why, did you, why did you do that, bro? He says, do you think G.O.D. will ever win the Tag League or will they just be the heel champs going into the Dome every year? Um, I don't think they're winning this year. No, yeah, I don't think they're winning this year. And um, this is one of the longest, most historic reigns they've had. I mean, I get that logic because there's a dearth of tag teams to compete and viably hold uh, the tag team titles in New Japan. So it feels like they've been holding it forever. They've had five title reigns in just a couple years. It's kind of crazy. But, um, you know, the year when they're not the champions, they'll probably win this. Probably, yeah, that probably will make the most sense. But I mean, I think eventually they have to win it because I don't really see them either guy being a breakout singles guy. So they're going to be a tag team forever. So at some point they're going to win this tag tournament. Agreed. So we move on to a Suzuki Goon team of Minoru Suzuki and the American Psycho, the IWGP US champion Lance Archer. This team is also sitting at six points on night five. They defeated Cobb and Nichols. On night six, they lost to G.O.D. And on night seven, they defeated Nakanishi and Yuji Nagata. Okay, here are my thoughts. If you just want to see Suzuki and Archer brutalize young lions, do their, like, big spots, get over on their, uh, you know, character work and taunting and all that sort of stuff, and then just, like, plunder brawl, then you probably enjoyed them in this tournament. But other than that, at this point, they're kind of underperforming to the levels that they're capable of. And again, it's because what we said earlier, Archer's got a date at the Dome. Suzuki's got something coming up, I assume, as well. So they're not really trying that hard. Yeah, they're mailing it in, man. They're They're, mailing it in. They're doing all character work. You know, Archer's grabbing mics in the middle of the match and yelling at the crowd. A lot of walking brawls, you know. Suzuki. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Yeah. And That's pretty much all I have to say about it. Yeah, I mean, there's not really much to say. I mean, I mean, they had the one match with Cobb and Nichols was fine. But, but everything the, else that had this streak has just been... The G.O.D. match was not good, and then... The Nakanishi Nagata match, oh my gosh. Really bad. Wanted to bang my head against a wall watching that thing. And you know, it's funny. I listened to another New Japan podcast, and they were like, you know, we're not going to discuss uh, the World Tag League in depth because, I mean... It's been good. I mean, how how often can you go through and be like, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. But, like, the reality is 
it kind of hasn't been lately. <laughs> right. See, so, so now I'm like, maybe they were smart. Maybe they were smart in being like, maybe we don't need to discuss this entirely. But um, because <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh god, like, <laughs> I'm reliving this. But um, I mean, I I expect Suzuki and Archer towards the tail end of this to to pick it up. You know what I mean? Right. Once we start getting some live shows again, they'll be one of the teams that kind of pick things up. Mm-hmm. So next up, we have Shingo Takagi and El Terrible, also sitting at six points. On night well, this is a breath of fresh air. Yeah. On uh, night four, they defeated Badluck Fale and Chase Owens. On night five, they defeated Dangerous Tickers. And then on night six, they defeated, or they lost to uh, Thin Juice. You know, they're not blowing the world away. But Shingo is incredible no matter what he does. And Terrible is getting over. And they're having pretty good matches. Right. And they've actually been telling a story with these two guys. Obviously, they've never really teamed together before. So they've been telling a story in this tournament that, you know, they need to learn to work with each other. Shingo's, like I said, he's learning Spanish so he can com- communicate better with Terrible. And so as they, the more they've teamed together, the better they've gotten, the better they've gelled together. And even in the in the backstage comments, they've mentioned that as also. So that there's a story of these two, you know, unknown partners kind of coming together and actually gelling as a team, becoming a team. So that's been good. And then their matches have been getting better as they move along as well. Um, on night five, the match of Dangerous Tickers, that's a, another uh, a three-and-a-half-star match that you can add to that list if you want to check out, you want to cherry-pick some matches here. The Dangerous Tickers and um, LIJ match was very good. Yeah, I mean, Shingo. Got a lot of time. They had really awesome. I mean, the interactions with Shingo and Tai Chi were really awesome. As well as him and Zack Saber, like Shingo was the star in that match. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean it's all about Shingo. Terrible is just kind of along for the ride. Uh, yeah, but Shingo's been killing it in this tournament. Uh, the match of Finn Juice was pretty good. Once again, it wasn't too long. It was eight minutes. Um, A little treat. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Shingo and Terrible, they have kind of been a surprise. I wasn't really expecting a whole lot from them at the beginning of this tournament, but. Obviously, it's, it's Shingo Takagi, and he's just the man. Um, and Terrible's, you know, Terrible's not bad. So they've they've been having a good tournament this far. The next team, the Dangerous Techers, Zack Saber Jr. and Taiji, and um, they've been good. But I feel like we ha- we're having to walk back on some of the things we've been saying about this team. Right. So right now they're sitting at four points. On uh, night four, they lost to God. Night five, they lost to. Takagi and Terrible on night six, they lost to Kenta and Yujiro. And on night seven, they lost to Cobb and Nichols. So they lost four straight on this run. How surprised are you? I'm very surprised. I'm so shocked. I mean, coming off the first couple nights, they were the team that had the the best matches. Um, You know, Sabre's the Rev Pro champ. Taichi's a guy that they've been pushing this year. I for sure thought that... Dangerous Ticker would be one of these teams that were, you know, eight or ten points, but they've been eating a lot of losses here, and I'm, I'm kind of confused by it. What do you think the um, what do you think the logic is in having a team with two really uh, established guys like Zach and Tai Chi, two guys that they um, have shown in the past that they're planning to push and you know see a lot of upside in having them as a team here. What do you think the the logic and thinking is in having them lose this many times? Honestly, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, 
they could be one of these teams where they start off losing a lot and then towards the end they pick up a winning streak and make up some points. I mean, there are a lot of teams in this this block and this tournament, so they can still come back and end up with a good point total towards the end. Four points seems to be a lot, though. I mean, four losses in a row seems to be quite a deficit at this point in time in the tournament. I mean, like, night after night after night, it's been very shocking now. As far as their antics, their uh, promo work, they're still as entertaining as ever. The matches haven't been terrible. I mean, some of them have been bad, but, you know, it's been against those Bull Club teams, and that kind of makes sense. We already discussed, you know, the, the shortcomings with those teams. But when given a good team like Shingo and Terrible or Cobb and Nichols, uh, they've been fine or even good, especially that LIJ match was, uh, you know, one, one shining example. I would still say Zach and Taichi are towards the top of MVPs just based on the high heights they've had in the tournament so far. Right, and, and I feel like once we start getting some more live shows, they're going to be a team that picks it up once again and have some really outstanding matches. But, man, four losses, that leads me to think that they're almost already out. Yeah. And it's kind of similar to, if you think about it, Zach, had, Zach and Taichi both did not do extremely well in the G1 this year. Yeah, I mean, Zach has just had a rough year altogether. If you look back from the beginning of the year to now, like, his year has not been as strong as the previous years. You know, that first year, man, he came in blazing a trail, winning that New Japan Cup. He had a, he had a good New Japan Cup for the most part, and then he got beat by Tanahashi. And then him and Tanahashi ended up, uh, you know, having their feud. But since then, the G1 kind of wasn't, you know, to the level that you would think it would be. Right. It was like since, yeah, after like G1 Supercard, I feel like he's definitely dropped a lot. That G1 ate a lot of losses, and he really hasn't had any really big standout victories a lot this year compared to 2018. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very confused that why those why these guys, Saber and Taichi, are, would, would eat four losses in a row. And we are pretty much halfway in the tournament. So, once again, they, they can still come back and pick up some victories and increase their point totals. But I don't think they have a shot at winning this thing. Yeah, at this point, it's starting to look like they don't. And, I mean, we didn't expect them to, but I did expect them to. I mean, with them being... Um, you know, two of the bigger single stars in this tournament. I expect them to do a little bit better, but, I mean, it's World Tag League, so, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. So, uh, moving on next to Hiroki Goto and Carl Fredericks. They're at four points on night four. Goto and Fredericks defeated Tenkozi, and on night five, they lost to Nagata and Nakanishi. So, uh, we also have a question here from Reddit user Rambo and Slam Pig. Are you guys surprised at how much flash that Carl Frederick has been able to show as a young line during this tournament? How far do you think he's off from excursion, or is he, uh, or is this his excursion already? That's a great question. Um, I don't know how to answer that. Um, I'm not surprised at how much flash that he's been able to show. I mean, given the fact that he won the, the Young Lions Cup, you know, the last Young Lions Cup was uh, won by uh, Kitamura. Katsuya Kitamura. And Kitamura was allowed to do many things that other Young Lions were not allowed to do from his look, from his wardrobe, from his moveset, 
you know, and he was being pushed and given singles opportunities that other young lines were not afforded. And it seems like, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Fredericks is somewhat in the same vein of that. Uh, plus, he's a much more seasoned vet and pro uh, compared to many of his contemporary, uh, you know, young line stablemates. That being said, I, I'm not surprised at all. But I don't know how to answer the the, the whole thing about his excursion. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure because obviously he's representing the LA Dojo, and you know, right now there's not a ton of U.S. shows lined up for New Japan of America. So, and he's been in Japan a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm, I don't know how that whole works with the whole LA Dojo guys when they come to Japan. Like, is this considered a part of their excursion or not? Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure how that works. But I mean, clearly they see something in Fredericks, and they're getting him ready for the a main roster spot in Japan. Yeah, I think the the whole thing with with excursions, you know, traditionally speaking, it's always been about sending someone away from the general audience so that they can miss them, so that they can get time in, develop their character, develop their style, learn, gain, you know, some world experience, and then come back a new person. They picked up uh, Carl Fredericks pretty much almost fully developed. I mean, yes, he's a, he's uh, improving, and yes, he's growing from his uh, experience in the dojo and working in Japan, working with this high-level caliber of, of class of workers. But, I mean, Carl Fredericks wouldn't have been out of place in a rev pro or a progress, or, you know, he worked places like that previously. So, you know, he's already kind of had that uh, excursion experience, and... This whole thing with an L.A. dojo, it's a whole new thing. We don't know what it exactly entails. We don't know what the business model or the game plan is or the training method when it comes to the progression of these young lions. This could be, quote, unquote, considered his excursion. I don't know if that's right. how they're seeing it or not. Right. And, you know, we have, um, you know, Narita, who's been moved over to the L.A. dojo. He's been working a lot of Rev Pro and OTT so it's kind of interesting how they're treating some of the L.A. Dojo guys. And so obviously, like, it's been said to Rita's on an excursion. They're counting him going to the L.A. Dojo as an excursion. So, yeah, it could be possible that they're counting these Japan runs as um, excursions for these L.A. Dojo guys. Yeah, that's totally possible. So, I mean, and we've discussed before in the past how there have been, um, there have been times where there have been... Uh, you know, young lines who have stayed domestic in Japan and didn't necessarily go off on on excursions and maybe did like uh, learning learning trips to Mexico. You know, Tanahashi's one of those guys. Nakamura was one of those guys. Um, so I mean, there've been there've been times like that. So I mean, I think with the whole young uh, LA Dojo young line um, experiment, it's going to be a little more non traditional in the way that they treat these guys. So I mean. They might not have a quote unquote traditional excursion. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you know, I made I made a uh, comment last week where I, I made a prediction that a year from now he'll be further up on the totem pole than Tohanari. And that was just my estimation based off what I've seen from the two. I think he's a much more polished professional already than he is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Fredericks is great. I mean, his uh, facial expressions, the selling, his maneuvers, he just he feels like a star, even in at a young lion stage. And, and with that being the case, I, I even saw, uh, I, I was listening to another uh, podcast just today and they were mentioning, you know, 
Frederick's excursion is way far off, you know, probably a year or something like that. And I was like, no, I think this guy's going to be main roster very shortly. I think the fact that he won the um, the uh, Young, Lions Cup. Young Lions Cup is a big indicator of the plans they have for him. So, And the fact that Goto and Fredericks are picking up tag league wins, huge indicator. Now, of course, with the fact that it's a single block, it kind of necessitates teams to not go into or not go completely with no wins. Right. We probably should have thought of that when we were doing our preview. Like that was a, a a misstep on my part because that makes sense that they would have some wins, you know, and the teams they've beaten have been teams that were beatable. So it does make sense, but it's still a huge vote of confidence that Carl Fredericks is on a team with Hiroki Goto and they picked up two wins already. That's for young line. That's a huge deal. Right. Traditionally young line teams, they're not winning anything. Um, and we've, we've seen teams like that in the past. And so, yeah, it's very surprising that yeah, they've picked up two wins so far. Obviously, Goto's the one picking up the wins. Um, and on this uh, sh- stretch of shows, Goto, they uh, they pinned uh, Kojima there in that first match on night four, which was a solid match. Um, a three-star affair, won about 11 minutes and 40 seconds. And then they ended up losing to Nagata and Nakanishi on night five. And honestly, I was like, man, I, I was thinking Nagata and Nakanishi the team that they could have potentially beaten. Potentially. But uh, for whatever reason, you know, they needed um, Nagata and Nakanishi to go over there. But um, clearly, like I mentioned earlier, they they're, they want to get Goto, get him some wins and get him looking strong going into the Tokyo Dome with that potential never openweight title match with Kenta. Yeah, and I think this team's looked strong. I think Fredericks has looked very good. Goto's doing his thing, trying to build up his match with uh, Kenta. And, um, you know, hats off to them. They're, they're doing a good job with the story that they're telling. So then we move on to Hiroshi Tanahashi and Toa Hanare, also sitting at four points on night four. They defeated Nakanishi and Nagata. On night five, they lost to Finjuice. On night six, they lost to Ishii and Yoshihashi. On night seven, they lost to Colt Cabana and Toriyano. Well, um, before we discuss this team, I think we have a good question. It's, I think it's a good way to lead us off. So we got a question from Danny. He said, do you think Kanari will be pushed higher after tagging with Tana, or does he settle back into his previous role after World Tag League? That is a good question. And just based off the output I'm seeing, I could see him being um, elevated a little bit higher. He's in great shape right now. He's got some new ring gear. He's been working really hard on this tour and Toa is a guy we've always kind of liked, and he, he's had some bangers in the past, and I just think he, he, he was just missing something. I think he's getting very close to finding it, and I think, you know, working with Tanahashi, that's a, a great guy to be kind of working with and being mentored by to uh, kind of help you get, you know, to that next level. So I think after this tournament, um, I could see him being elevated a little bit higher than his normal kind of prelim spot. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I think the fact that they have him teaming with Tanahashi is a big indicator of what they would what they'd like to see out of him in the future. Uh, you know, again, the fact that they have Fredericks teamed up with Goto, it's a big vote of confidence. Hanari teamed up with Tanahashi is a big vote of confidence. Right, especially you look in the past, he's teamed up with guys like Makabe. It's like, oh, you know, it's, it's Togi Makabe, you know, in his later stage of his career. But now they switch things up. He's teaming with a, like the ace, Tanahashi. Big difference there. Like you mentioned, a big vote of confidence. And 
So clearly, they're they're. I think they have some plans for Toa Hanare for twenty twenty. Well, we've seen in the past where Tanahashi has teamed up with uh, some lower level guys. Um, Kawato comes to mind, and there are some other individuals. I can't think of them off the top of my head. Where, um, you know, that was a big step in their progression as a uh, as a talent. Let me ask you this: just you know, since we're on the topic, Hanare, he definitely we we already discussed this. He seems to be more motivated than in times past. Does he come off to you as wrestling with more motivation than, say, Dave Finley? Uh, I think they're about the same, honestly. Okay. Uh, what about Cobb and Nichols? Uh, once again, I feel like it's almost uh, maybe a little bit higher, but I think it's the same ball field. And Kojima? I think he's a little bit higher. Kojima just based on the youth and a little bit, you know, can move a little bit better. But once again. So based on what you're seeing, you're seeing a guy that, recognizes that this is one of the biggest opportunities he's had in the last couple of years to kind of make something of himself. And he's going out there and he's trying night after night uh, to, to really prove something. Um, I, I guess another one to throw out there, Fredericks. Right. Yeah. Once again, I think, you know, same kind of um, level there of motivation. And these young guys, they realize, you know, this, this world tag league, like other teams might be taking it easy, but I can't, I don't, I don't have the, the credibility to take it easy right now. Like I have to build my name here and yeah. bust my butt every night. I guess the reason I ask you that is because we've seen Hanare put in great efforts in the past that we've seen other times where he's kind of seemed complacent. And I'm just wondering if what you're seeing out of him would indicate to you that he's in line for something bigger beyond this. Like, is are the performances that you're seeing uh, something that would be indicative of a push or you know a deserving push based on his performances? I, I think so, and um, you know I would definitely, if I was Gato, have something planned for him for next year and get him elevated. Uh, he he's a, a great in ring worker. We've seen him have those you know strong style matches with guys like Ishii. Um, he you know he's been developing this character. See, I'm not I'm not totally sold. Like I I agree with everything you're saying, but do you think that what we've seen in this tournament is enough to deserve that or not? And I'm just wondering, you know, um he's working super hard and I'm just wondering if once this is done Gato's going to look at his resume in this tournament and say, you know, this is a guy that we need to hitch our wagon to. That's what I'm really wondering. Right. But based on what you're saying, you're saying out of all the guys that are showing an urgency and a motivation. You're saying he's at the top of the heap from what you think, right? Yeah, I think he's up there. And, you know, obviously he's not going to get skyrocketed to an IWGB title shot or anything. But, you know, I could see him being a guy that can get an upset win in the first round New Japan Cup. Oh, that's a good, uh, you know. Jeremy Donovan. (laughs) You know, potentially getting in the G1. um, There's a lot of different things you could do. I could see him in some sort of uh, multi-man scenario during, say, even Wrestle Kingdom, whether it's a Rambo, whether it's the six-man tag tournament, um, or, you know, uh, what's a gauntlet match, those are things that could happen. Um, maybe they have something lined up for him at New Year's Dash, yeah. or, like you said, New Year's Cup, or uh, New Japan Cup. Right. Maybe, maybe a first-round, um, you know, win, or, you know, what if we saw him in some sort of multi-man? Maybe New Year's Dash, he pins... The never champion. Right. 
or something like that, or or gets a a tag t- yeah, like a tag team multi man tag win over. Well, you know what would be would be kind of interesting to do. You know, we mentioned earlier about stars being in the tag division. What if after Wrestle Kingdom, like Tanahashi is like, you know what, I want a team of Toa Hanare this year, and you have Toa Hanare and Tanahashi kind of become a regular tag team and give those guys a tag title run. Have you been impressed enough with this tag team to want to see them on that kind of level? Because I don't think I have. I haven't, but I'm just saying, like... I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying they're, like, the best in-ring tag team, but, it, you know... I'm just saying, like, Rocky, don't don't vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know... Or, or whoever from New Japan's listening. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to get this Tanahashi-Hinari run, but I'd like to see Hinari team with maybe another young guy. Um, I don't know who. Just not Tanahashi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I don't know who else to could team with. But I'm just thinking, you know, you, you get some star power in that tag division. Tanahashi, you keep you kind of keep him out of the singles division for a little sure. while, and you help him get, you know, mentor Tohanare, help him get ready for uh, that next level in his career. But sure, you know, well, I would I would like to see them. I think you know, in the next uh, few months, the next uh, four months are a very very telling time for Tohanare's career. You know, we we get impatient about some guys. You know whether they get pushed with to our likings, and we've talked about that in the past. But we're at a point now with Toinari, like we can't afford to wait years because of how competitive the landscape right. is. He will get bypassed. Yeah, there so are if, people chomping at the bit right, right, right behind him. So, so they need to, if they're going to do something. And I'm not saying, like you said, don't skyrocket him. But like, if you're going to do something, do it now. And like, I think he's doing great in this tournament. Like honestly, I could see Toinari being that. Career never guy, you know, almost a similar like a Ishii role where they're kind of a bruiser guy who's going to be in the never division and can have these kind of strong style bangers with, with everybody. Yeah, I agree. And um, yeah, I mean, overall, this team they've been fine. Uh, Tanahashi is getting much needed rest. He's 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 fine, but it it really is about Tohinar in these matches. Uh, have you been surprised that the matches that they have won, Tanahashi's hitting high, high fly flows? Flows. Absolutely. I I can't believe he's doing that. I don't get why he's doing it. I just don't get it. I mean, we've talked years ago when we first started this podcast. And even beyond that, like he said, he was retiring the move. He was only going to pull it out for big moments, and like this, he can't help himself. Right. He's like, never mind that. He's like tonight. I'm on a high five flow. <laughs> like we're in Fukuoka, it, it, we're in a gymnasium. There's 300 people here, and it's video on demand. High five <laughs> flow. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's in busting up the there. ace rides again. <laughs> yeah, and that match with um, Hanare against uh, Nakanishi and Nagata hit a high fly flow there, um, and well, he lost all the other matches. But they won some matches on the the first three nights. And he had a high fly flow. So, yeah, man, Tanahashi just busting out that high fly flow, even on these video on demand shows. And uh, let's move on. So, we have the last two teams. Both teams don't have a lot to say. I think we discussed all the matches, but uh, we have Bad, Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens sitting at four points. Uh, night four, they were defeated by the LIJ team of Shingo and Terrible. Uh, night five, LIJ team of Evil and Sonata defeated them. And then night seven, they defeated. GBH team of Togi Makabe and uh, Tomoaki Hanma. So, uh, once again, a, another team that's been pretty entertaining in the backstage comments, but not very entertaining in the ring. They had this whole thing going on. There's a conspiracy against them from New Japan, and 
um, you know, the refs are incompetent. And then, you know, they had the night off on night six and Chase said he got 12 hours of sleep and they apparently they paid off a ref or something like that. And so, you know, they won their match. And so they've been, they've been pretty funny backstage, but in ring, it's not been great. Agreed. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't really know what, what, what more to say about these guys. And the last team, Manabu Nakanishi and Yuji Nagata, sitting at two points with just one win in this tournament. They have uh, they l- lost on night four to Tanahashi and Hanare. They picked up their first win of the tournament against Goto and Carl Fredericks on night five, and then night six and seven, they were defeated by Evil and Sonata, and then Lance Archer and Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, so like we said, like, Kayfabe-wise, they are, you know, the worst team. They're at two points at the bottom of the block. And then, um, you know, shoot-wise, they are the worst team in this tournament. Um, Yuji Nagata is is doing his best, but Manabu Nakanishi is just so slow. Um, You know, just nowhere near what he was in his peak of his career and these guys are not having good matches whatsoever. All their matches thus far have been less than three stars. Yep. Uh, we did have a question here from Reddit user Zach Saber Time. Uh, says, still listening to the Social Suplex Formation podcast. Had no clue when Nation Radio was a thing before Social Suplex. Watching Nakanishi in this tournament is painful. Any good Nakanishi match recommendations to help with these dire times? Um, yeah, I mean, Nakanishi's had some good matches over the year, but, like, here's the thing, Nakanishi's never been a stellar worker, like, ever. Um, let me think, uh, he had a really great match with Great Muda in 1999 during the G1, um, that might be his best match of his career, um, the time when he won the IWGP title, yes, Former IWGP champion Manabu Nakanishi, when he defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi for the title, uh, I believe it was 2006. I want to say maybe I'm wrong on that, but it was uh, he defeated him in uh, Cork and Hall, and he's also the only man to ever win the title in Cork and Hall in history. Um, that was sort of like a uh, what do they call that? Like when the guy went like a like what like a. Paper title run? No, like when they give the guy the title at the end of his career, like Mark Henry. Oh, uh, crap. I know the word you're saying. God, what am I thinking of? <laughs> kind of like a... Um, like a thank you for your career yeah, sort of thing, but yeah. I forget what the, what it's called. People say it all the time. Yeah. Uh, career Achievement Award. Something like that. Something yeah, like that, yeah. yeah. Um, he had really good matches with Kojima and Shinya Hashimoto. Um, I know like him and Hashimoto had a great match in 95. That's probably worth checking out. Um, there's also one with him and uh, Kenzuki Sasaki that's worth checking out. Um, him and Kojima, the Young Lions Cup, that's one to check out. But uh, off the top of my head, I think I just named like all the great Nakanishi matches that I can remember. Yeah, so if anybody else has any other uh, suggestions that we're missing out, let us know. But yeah, so that's going to uh, wrap up our World Tag League coverage this week. Uh, we got several more nights to go in this tournament, but uh, we'll keep you updated on the tournament next week. So now we're going to uh, jump into some questions here. 
So first round. I just want to say, for some reason, like getting through these G1 uh, or this uh, World Tag League, like this literally might have been the most strenuous episode of Keeping a Strong Style I've ever done when we were covering World Tag League. Like, yeah, I don't know why. This was rough. It's been pretty rough, but hopefully these questions can uh, kind of get us out of the funk here. Save us, people. <laughs> so first from Reddit user StupidIdiot9000, he says, Stupid idiot. <laughs> what would you think of a Takagi gun with dangerous tickers as a team to build up the tag division? Shingo is just too great to play fourth man in LIJ. And as much as Tai Chi and ZSJ are singles competitors, the heavyweight tag team division needs so much help. Huh. Interesting. So, I mean, I think a lot of people are starting to get to a point where, like, Shingo's in the heavyweight division. He's kind of slotted at this point behind at least Naito and Sonata. Maybe evil. Um, He hasn't really had a a lot of time as a heavyweight yet to kind of establish those... um, you know, roles, but we kind of know that he's at least behind those two for sure at this point. So I think most people assume he's going to be a main event player when it comes to the IWGP title at some point in time, which means he's probably got to leave LIJ in order for that to happen. Right. So that's why a lot of people are kind of like clamoring and hoping for a Takagi goon. Um, Although this idea would basically assume that dangerous techers leave like Suzuki Goon or Shingo takes over, uh, you know, Suzuki Goon, something along those lines. I mean, we're talking about like some pretty big, like, um, shake up, shake up some, some, um, factional shifts. I mean, like we're talking about like rise and GBH and, and chaos all like changing. Like that's a, that's a pretty, and you know what? New Japan might be due for something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tai Chi and, uh, Zack Sabre Jr., you know, they are singles competitors. And I do understand that the heavyweight tag team division needs help. But, I mean, you're kind of talking about, like, having Shingo jump over both of them. I don't I don't know. I mean, do you think that would work? Is that something that you see happening? Or, or you know, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know if I'm a big fan of this idea. Um, I feel as much as, as great as uh, Sabre and Taichi have been as a team, I feel like both of their strengths are as singles competitors and they've clearly see something in Tai Chi and he's gotten a great push this year with the matches with Naito and being in the G1 and obviously Sabre I mean they see something in him as well you know his debut that New Japan Cup 2018 where he defeated all those aces and um, he's still gotten some big wins even this year even though it hasn't been that great of a year for him kayfabe wise uh, so yeah those are two guys I can see you know being moved up the card in the singles rank. So I'm not sure if you, you know, stick them in a, a tag team to try and help out this tag division. That's not really ever a focus or ever is ever going to really be a draw or focus for the company. Here's the deal. When they start booking the tag team division as a division, that's um, worthy of Tai Chi and Zack Sabre as being a full-time team. Then I'll get behind this until that time. I don't want the, I don't want the tag division to be a place where you hide talent so you can get over other guys, right? I don't, I don't want to see Saber and Tai Chi wrestle God like ten times. Exactly. Like I'm not trying to see Tai Chi and Zach hid in a tag team to allow for Shingo to jump them. Like, let's just have them all battle it out as singles competitors. They don't need to be in a in a stable together and and have Tai Chi and Zach Saber like hidden. 
You know, I'm not really a big fan of that. Now, if the tag division is a big deal and it's and it's important for them to be tag champions, then all, I'm all about it. But for now, no. Yeah. But I, I, I do kind of like the idea of Shingo kind of leading his own faction and breaking and that off might happen. from LIJ. That definitely might happen. Yeah. But yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have Saber and Tai Chi. I'll get some other guys in that faction with him. But yeah, like I've said, I think Shingo is a future Tokyo Dome main eventer. I could see him getting um, an, an IWGP title shot, potentially even winning the title. And Shingo is just a great, great professional wrestler. Um, he's getting great crowd reactions. He has great matches. Um, you know, the cream always rises to the top. So. I can easily see Shingo, you know, being a top, you know, in that top, you know, five, six role in the company. So, I know there's a lot of guys, a lot of people that love Shingo. So, I think next year is going to be an even more of a breakout year for Shingo. I agree. Uh, so, next question from Dan Coffin in front of the show. He says, give us your boldest, craziest, way too early New Year Dash predictions. The Elite Invade New <laughs> Japan Pro Wrestling at New Year's Dash. The Elite Return. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Kenny Omega shows up to spoil Tetsuya Naito's coming out party. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, that would that would be pretty crazy, though. Uh, let's see. New Year's Dash predictions. Hmm. Uh, here we go. Ishii earns an IWGP title shot. How? By beating Naito in a multi-man match. Oh, that'd be so dope. So you, you run. Although we've we've had IWGP title matches between them in the past. Yeah. So you you know you have the New Year's Dash. You do like Lij versus Chaos. Naito's just coming off this big win, winning both belts, and then Ishii just brainbusters that man. And then uh, New Beginning, you do Naito and Ishii. I like it. Uh, let's see. Any, anything else that we can think about? Uh, Those were, that was my prediction I gave I, you. I know. I was just trying to think if there was anything else I could think about that would be kind of crazy to happen at uh, New Year's Dash. Liger comes out of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind that. <laughs> yeah, his, his retirement ceremony on New Year's Dash gets interrupted by Rey Mysterio. And he says, no, Lager, you can't retire until we have our match. That will never happen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But a good question, Dan. Uh, Next question from Sir Sam. He says, is there any skill to this NJPW collection game? Or is it just another crafty way to finesse me out of my money? Are you paying money for this? Is anyone paying money for this? First of all, I'm not paying money. So there, you can pay money if you want to buy more uh, lion stones or coins, but I'm not doing that. I'm just earning it by, like, completing the missions. All right, before you discuss the game, let me tell you what my... Okay, so here's my, like, experience of the game. I turn on the game. I start it. I'm like, there's a lot of text. Holy crap. Skip, 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 skip. What is this game? I don't know. There's cards. Who's my first guy? Taguchi. What the fuck? <laughs> After that, I'm like, nah, skip, skip, skip. All right, who's my next guy? Yano. What the heck? <laughs> like, skip, skip. Like, I, I don't know what it is. Like, I don't get this game. Like, I, I should have probably read all that text, but, like, why is there so much text? Because there's a lot to explain. Is this a battle card game? Am I, like, trying to 
form a faction. Like, I don't get it. But all I know is I'm not paying money for it. I'm about to delete the app. Here's the here's my biggest gripe with it. I think it's cool. People seem to really like it, and I, I'm all for it. If you guys are gamers and, and card game players and you like it, I'm not against that. What I am against is the fucking New Japan Reddit being nothing but people <laughs> bragging about cards that they've gotten today. It is getting ridiculous. Like, we need a new subreddit that's called, what is this game called? Uh, NJPW Collection. We need an NJPW Collection subreddit because the NJPW Reddit it has literally been, it's it's just a bunch of people sharing their cards now. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? So um, that's my whole take. That's everything I want to say about the New Japan Collection game. Yeah, so if you haven't. Also, if, if you're spending money on this shit, you a mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's a New Japan Collection game. So essentially it's an app where, you're collecting uh, cards of New Japan wrestlers. There's uh, different star levels, um, four, three, two, and one. The four-star cards are your more rare cards. Um, they're the best cards you can get. And so essentially you're trying to collect all these cards and get the best cards. And with your card, you can uh, form a faction. And then you could um, have allies and you can trade with other people playing the game in order to um, collect all the cards. There's got to um, catch them all. <laughs> um, there's different uh, missions that you do, um, like collecting a, s- a certain amount of like two star wrestlers or, um, you know, trading a certain amount of times. And as you complete the missions, you get more lion stones and more coins, which allow you to draft more wrestlers. And essentially you're trying to be like the number one ranked um person in the card game so like for example right now i'm ranked uh 760 out of the thousands and thousands of people who are uh, currently uh playing the game and uh right now i have a uh, a four star naito and a four star suzuki and a bunch of other three star and one star matches <laughs> uh cards so yeah, yeah what about the seven stars well the the, the peak is four stars right now oh okay so, so we're pre nineteen eighty three right now. Right, there's uh you know there's no Kenny Omega cards in here, so there's not even like a there's not even a Sayama card like <laughs> pre nineteen eighty three four stars the max right now. There's so yeah, I mean, it's it's a fun little game. Like right now there is no battling. I'm I'm sure at some point they'll probably introduce that as you develop your factions and you know make it like a Pokemon or Yu Gi Oh kind of thing. Oh God, <laughs> uh, yeah, but. Uh, so Sam, uh, I could, would much rather get a uh, NJPW wrestling game. I mean, I guess we got uh, Fire uh, Pro, but yeah. But uh, so Sam, I would not be paying any money for this game. Just do the missions. Is there any skill to this? There, there is no skill as far as I've. It's just all random. I mean, you, you, you save up your lion stones. You do the draft. You get your wrestlers, and you get what I, you get. Draft. I don't like my wrestling having drafts, sir. <laughs> well. That's what happens here. It's getting a little too westernized for me. Random selection, random draft. This western expansion is killing New Japan. (laughs) Uh, Next question from Chris Bryan from. uh, Shout out to Chris Bryan. Happy birthday! I forgot to. Yeah, happy 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 birthday, birthday. Chris Bryan, um, host of Grown Men Watch This Shit right here on the network. He says, "How long until our Lord and Savior Taichi gets his rightful IWGP Heavyweight Title run?" Dangerous T was over as fuck in both Tokyo and Osaka from a live perspective from my recent trip. Um, I don't see Taichi getting an IWGP title run. Um, I think you'd be lucky to even get a title shot at this point. 
Right. I mean, honestly, Tai Chi is one of these guys I could see kind of in that never division, potentially maybe IC title, but. Tai Chi's never holding the uh, IWGB title ever. Yeah. Never. I have a hard time seeing, like, like so even getting a shot, to be honest. And, and I think Tai I could see him getting a shot. I think Tai Chi's, you know, obviously he's stepped his game up this year. He's had some um, some bangers with like Tai Chi, with, um, with Ishii and Naito. Uh, but yeah, I just don't see him on that IWGP level. At least not now, anyway. Totally agree. Although, um, yeah, uh, Chris Bryan, if you guys want to hear about his uh, travels and uh, his trip to Japan, he was there for like something crazy, like two weeks, and he went to all the the big shows in Tokyo and Os- Osaka for like Big Japan and. Um, I think he went to uh, a Noah show. He went to a bunch of different Joshi shows. I mean, he went to a bunch of different shows. So, and he was covering that on the last episode of Grow Man Watch This Shit. So, uh, if you haven't gotten a chance, definitely check it out. Yep. And so, last question here comes from Ricky from Ricky, Ricky and Clive show here on the network. He says, "Which wrestler who has never wrestled for New Japan would you like to see join the company, and why?" So. Clearly, this can't happen right now, but, I mean, if there was no restrictions, I think one guy I would definitely want, uh, Pentagon Jr. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, obviously, currently he's contracted with, you know, AEW and uh, AAA, but if he was a free agent and Gato's like, who do you want? I'm like, I want Pentagon Jr. Um, the last few years, this guy's just been incredible with the matches he's had, and he's a star, man. He's just so charismatic and... There's a lot of dream matches for um, Pentagon to have. I mean, Pentagon versus Okada, Pentagon versus Obushi, Pentagon Ishii. Um, he would just add a different flavor to the roster and kind of bring that lucha strong style to the table. Are we are we counting like cross promotional shows? What do you mean? Like some of those UK like Rev Pro, like Global Wars type shows, stuff like that. As far as guys to pick from? Like guys who have never worked for the company. Oh. Uh, well, technically they're not New Japan shows. I mean, I get actually if we're being technical, they all they are because they're cross-branded. But yeah. um, if we're not including those types of shows, then I say Walter. Mm. The other one that comes to mind immediately is Pete Dunne. Oh, the Bruiserweight. Those are like... Two guys immediately that I'm like, I would love to have them in New Japan. They've yeah. never worked for them either. Another guy, I don't think, uh, Pac has never wrestled for He's always been Dragon Gate, right? Um, I want to say he's done like a Best of the Super Juniors or something like that in the past, but maybe I'm wrong. Okay. Yeah, I just feel like, I feel like he's always kind of been a Dragon Gate guy, but maybe he did do some New Japan stuff. To the cage match we go. Uh, but if he hasn't, I mean, Pac's another guy. You know, get him in that in that junior division. You know, Pack and Osprey, uh, Pack and Eagles, Pack versus El Fantasmo. Yeah, he's worked for New Japan before. Okay, 2012, uh, he worked best of the Super Juniors. Look at oh, me! Oh wow, there you go. Um, I mean, I guess I'm I'm going with Pentagon. Why not go with Ray Phoenix? Also, um, he would be another great guy to uh, bring over to New Japan. That's crazy. That was the last time he worked New Japan. The only time he worked uh, best. Pack worked Pac. It's Pac. It's not. It's Pac. <laughs> Pac worked uh, Best Super Juniors, and then, like, a few months later, he was in WWE. Wow. Mm-hmm. Crazy. 
uh, one other guy, um, uh, Keith Lee. And we saw, I was going to say Keith Lee. We saw him with the Rev Pro crossover wrestling. Oh, Matt, Ishii. Matt Riddle. Oh, yes. Yeah, Riddle. I mean, he was supposed to be going to New Japan before he got the NXT call. Yeah, Riddle would have been another great guy to have in there. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. All right, so now we're going to jump into news. Kind of a light uh, news week this week. So Good, because I'm tired. I had a long day, and this <laughs> tag league has worn me out. Um, so just on the New Japan front, um, so it was reported in Wrestling Observer Newsletter, New Japan drew uh, 34,435 fans over 13 U.S. dates in 2019, averaging uh, 2,649 per show. The average was skewed greatly by the 16,534 that were paid for Madison Square Garden sellout. And so next year, they won't come close to that number since there likely won't be a MSG uh, size show on the schedule. Also from the Observer, New Japan on Access has been preempted the last two weeks, two weeks in a row. So very interesting, you know. With, I thought they were trying to work together. Right, with Impact <laughs> um, Anthem thing, they know they want to have New Japan and promote New Japan. Um, they've been preempted the last two weeks. So we're going to keep our eyes on what's going to happen with that TV deal. Uh, the free match of the week is Gorels of Destiny versus Evil and Sonata from the uh, World Tag League 2018. That and match is awesome. Yeah, one of the better um, LIJ and G.O.D. matches. Oh, you know what? No, I'm sorry. Last week's free match of the week was G.O.D. against G.B.H. from the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that I thought you were referencing that match. This match was just okay. I mean, but it's it was one, it was one it was, wasn't it one of their better matches they've had from the 2018. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was good, but it no what 2018 was last year. Yeah. It, no, remember that match was super long. It was super long. We'd already seen it a few times in the single block, and we were like, "Holy crap, we got this again!" I mean, it was okay, like it was yeah. fine. But um, moving on into <laughs> uh, other news, we have to talk about the Ring of Honor drama that has been going on and how it could potentially affect New Japan. Um, so. This all kind of started with uh, a situation with Kelly Klein. So a article broke in Newsweek, and it had a major ROH story talking about uh, Kelly Klein, BJ Whitmer, and Adam Birch, also known as Joey Mercury. And um, the whole story was just talking about the claims of improper care of injured talent in Ring of Honor, which Ring of Honor is denying. Kelly Klein, uh, she suffered a concussion on their UK tour and apparently was not attended to. There was no uh, concussion protocol um, done for her. Um, in the article, that went into Klein's contract situation, and um, she was offered a $50,000 a year deal. Right now, she was only making uh, $20,000, um, but ROH pulled the deal and has released her. She is the current uh, Woman of Honor's champion. Um, and the article went after Greg Gillian, who is the general manager of Ring of Honor, and Joe Koff and St. Clair, um, mostly about the safety issues. But um, then it just started talking about uh, Greg Gillian. And this is a name that we've kind of seen come out over the last couple of weeks because of uh, Joey Mercury and some of the texts that he's been releasing that um, him and Greg have been having. And... It, and who is this that's been releasing them? Joey Mercury? Yeah, Joey Mercury. So he was a an agent, a producer for Ring of Honor. Um, 
obviously in talks with Greg Gillian and you know the upper brass at Ring of Honor. And since then, you know, Joey Mercury has left the company. He's been releasing all these texts. He's released uh, the contract expiration dates of certain talents. He's kind of helped this article with Newsweek of Kelly Klein, and um, it's a lot. So I have some of the interesting texts here that I kind of want to read. One of them that kind of blew up was one that mentioned Hickaleo. So there was a, a text conversation between um, Greg Gillian and Joey Mercury, and um, so... Mercury saying, um, you know, any idea who did the rooming list and does Hikaleo get his own room? Greg says, Lawrence slash Todd, I didn't, I did not do the deal with Hikaleo. And he says, okay, do you know who did? Just trying to fix a rooming list. And Greg says, Hunter booked him waste of money. <laughs> so that, wow. so that kind of blew up with, you know, God and the Tongans and, um, them, you know, being very upset, you know, that clip, of um, you know Tamatanga throwing the ROH belt has been resurfacing, and so obviously the Tongan family not very happy with these comments about Hikaleo and um, not wanting to, you know Hikaleo to be booked there anymore. Yeah, and then there was a text exchange about uh, Marty Skrull, and so uh, Joey's texting Greg. He says that is big picture thinking. Like when I suggested four different times Marty up at the Garden, the reasoning was we always trap the guy and then they leave. It's not valid, logical, nor lucrative reason. Then Greg says, well, we knew T- Taven would stay, but we couldn't get him over. Mercury responds, so in hindsight, would you say Marty would have been a choice? Because he's a, a, over already, then have Taven take it from Marty? Greg says, I still split the choice. It was on us, on us to sell it. And Mercury says, because that seems logical in hindsight. However, it was it was in my foresight. Greg says, can wash it against that Enzo bit that really bit us. But back to ground zero. What's next? What's the next big play if Marty leaves? Um, then there's another te- uh, conversation here where Mercury is showing a text from Flip Gordon, where Flip Gordon is texting Joey Mercury, showing the a ticket map, and Flip says, fucking embarrassing. Why are we running such big venues that we can't fill? And um, Mercury sends this to Greg and says, this is from Flip. And Greg says, Flip the question, why can't he fill them? Ask Flip why he can't draw. Well, we can go back to 500-person buildings, but I don't need to overpay talent, big salaries, or overproduce that. Uh, Let's see what else we have here. Uh, Then there was the whole situation with uh, Maria Manic with her contract expiring and then getting a WWE tryout. And so um, the conversation goes, uh, when there's a choice, then there's a choice. What Maria's contract being a mistake, you mean? Is that was that your oversight? Yes. Mercury says this is a fuck up, a big one. I want to help not that happen. Greg says at the same time, if a talent wants to be here, they will reach out. Mercury says no, no, they won't. You don't even know. Greg says and Maria, while intriguing and full of potential, is not going to make us millions. Mercury responds, wow. Greg responds, bottom line, not one single ta- talent is going to do that for us right now. The bigger picture is most important. So there's just a bunch of these texts. And I think they talked about Enzo and Cass, right? Right. There was a, a, an, a text. I don't have that one saved right in front of me, but there was one where they were talking about, um, you know, meeting up with Enzo and Cass before you won Supercard and that Joe Coff didn't even know that they were being brought in and how to shoot that and all that stuff. So as we speak, Joey Mercury is still tweeting out several conversations what, between. What's the deal with Joey Mercury? So, like, he – I, I – I knew that he had a falling out with the company. We didn't discuss it on the show because we, we've kind of 
strayed away from ROH coverage the mm-hmm. past few weeks and months. But um, what what even happened here to where he became so disgruntled and started sending so much stuff out? Well, he was just frustrated with how um, Greg has been managing the company. He was upset. You know, he said, you know, Marty should have went at the Garden. They didn't listen to him. Um, but when did before these texts came out? When did because he'd already had issues with the company prior to that? Like, what led to all this? I think it was just everything kind of building up. Uh, I think this all started happening about like two weeks ago, and I think the final straw might have been this Kelly Klein thing, or you know, the whole Maria Manic contract situation. And, but and I also heard things about sexual assault allegations and and things like that as well. Uh, I didn't see that, but I know that. Um, Somebody made like a fake Twitter about Joey Mercury or trying to like make like false claims about him being racist and stuff like that. I definitely heard something about there being like sexual allegations as well, like through all this stuff. Uh, this all just sounds like a mess. Um, so essentially, and then there was also, um, I saw something online about like them not having proper security, not having proper guardrails, um, you know. Uh, basically that like when the elite had been there that they were paying to have security and have the guardrails. And then like once they left uh, and I think it was Kelly Klein who was tweeting about this and saying that like the, uh, that the medical, the security and everything like that had kind of gone downhill since they had left the company. Right. And then, but they have, there have been guys like Silas Young and TKR Ryan who have been, Trying to defend Ring of Honor and saying yes, yeah, there there is a concussion protocol and we've been here all this time and we've you know never had this issue. Every show I've been to, there's always been uh, medical cl- guys. Well, clearly there was something you know missing here with the whole Kelly Klein situation. Yeah, I mean, as far as the Marty Skrull situation is concerned, I mean, it's pretty clear he's leaving to go to AEW at this point. I mean, it's not 100 percent confirmed, but I mean, based on things that have happened on being the elite. And a leak that came out from Pro Wrestling T showcasing some of the uh, merchandise that had AW logoing on it. Uh, spoiler alert: Marty's going to AW. Right. So in the deal with Marty, so his contract is up at the end of this month, but he already agreed to work Final Battle on December thirteenth. So that's going to be his last show, and then you know from there on, we're guessing he's going to AW based on everything that you mentioned that we've been seeing. I guess for our listeners, the real question, some of the real questions here are like, one, with Marty being such a hot free agent, is there a chance of seeing him again in New Japan in the future? I'm going to say I don't think there's a high likelihood, but, you know, there is a precedent set there, uh, you know, given the the nature of the interactions with, uh, or not interactions, but just the inclusion of talents like uh, John Moxley and like Chris Jericho there is the possibility that Marty Skrull could get some sort of deal that allowed him to work Japan uh, in the future. But, you know, as that company becomes more established, it seems like maybe they might not be inclined to do that sort of thing. Right. So that's one thing. Um, I do want to say this, though. We were out to dinner. I won't say any names. We were out to dinner with someone who was close to this situation um, when it comes to the uh, <laughs> to the Ring of Honor um logic and booking when it came to the triple threat match at uh g1 supercard and we we pretty much were vehemently bearing the the decision making we're like why wouldn't you go with marty Skrull? and they were essentially telling us well that that the company basically made the decision that made no sense because he's obviously leaving and you know it it was a good idea i don't remember their logic at the time they were saying that because um 
What because to build Taven up, and build Taven up. You get you get heat for Taven. You, you get build, heat on you him. build him up, and since he's staying and and that and I was like, that makes no sense. He's not he's not over. And they're like, well, that's how you get him over. And I was like, you get him over by having him beat a star. You have him. You you get him over whoever it is you want to get over. Like hypothetically, Flip Gordon could have got over if you'd had the mar the the. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. This just seems so logical. Like it seems so simple to me. It's like. There's a built-in background between Flip and Marty. You put the title on Marty. You do the turn where Flip ends up in, in the same faction. You tease Dissension. You have Flip beat him for the title. That's the big send-off. You send Marty off into the winds and, and Flip's your big star. Uh, and there's a lot more upside of Flip Gar- Gordon than Matt Taven. I don't know. This just seems like logical booking to me. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that... W- it, it, it makes even, a lot of sense. It makes too much sense for ROH. Even if you wanted to go with Taven, like you put the belt on Marty. Marty's there for six, seven months. The crowd's still happy. You, you still have an elite guy. Marty on top, and then you have Taven beat Marty. Marty would have drawn. Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing. They're like, I understand that you need to like, um, build other stars, and you can't just depend on people that are going to leave. But like, they literally, like to their own detriment this year were, were like making guys that they thought were sh- uh, assigned to short-term contracts who were big stars, like just get buried night after night after night. I mean, you look at how they treated Dragon Lee, you look at how they treated Jeff Cobb, you look at how they treated uh, um, Bandito, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> you look at these guys, and now all their contracts are up, and like the company's like, oh, my God, they're all going to leave. Well, yeah. They're going to leave because you jobbed them all out. And and who do you got now? You got TK Orion. <laughs> you got a balloon guy. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that stuff's crazy. Um, I mean, from... The, the also, also, there was um, a text from with uh, Juice Robinson involved, too. That's right. That kind of confirmed that, um, you know, they weren't paying him as much as they were supposed to. We were at a media scrum. Someone asked him about the... Uh, this is back at the G1 in Dallas. Someone had asked him about not working at ROH. He's like, I never said that. I don't know where this is really coming from. You know, me and those guys are cool. I'm just not working there right now. I'm doing the G1. But after seeing those text messages where he's like, you know, basically, you know, if, if you know the story, they brought him in at the, him and uh, Dave Finley in at the beginning of the year to kind of headline this big faction and be top stars in the company. And then they stopped using them and they stopped going. And not only that, New Japan stopped sending people, really. And, you know, those text messages where he mentioned, like, they were paying him a third of what he, I don't know if it was a third of what was agreed on, or a third of what he thought he was worth, but like he was like, I don't want to go there anymore. Right, and that's exactly what the report had been earlier in the year that said where he didn't want to go anymore, and he told Brass he wasn't going anymore. And then when people asked him about it, he was like, I don't know where that's coming from. You know, this whole thing with New Japan and ROH has been just boiling over for a long time. I mean, there's a lot of like things coming through the cracks, and th- this whole thing with Hikaleo is a big, big deal. I mean. Um, you know their their connection to this family and their connection to this talent. Uh, speaking of New Japan, they really don't want to see like the management from another company. Like this reminds me of uh, when Dixie Carter and them had were like talking junk about uh, about um, the the um, freaking executives over at uh, TN or oh, Spike TV. At Spike TV, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it came out in public, and then they had to like walk it back, yeah. walk it back. Like that's what this kind of looks like now. Like ROH is having to now. I don't know what's going on with Joey Mercury. This sort of seems to me like 
someone who's very disgruntled or upset. Like, I hope everything's good with him. But, you know, this this is very eye-opening stuff that's coming out. And, um, you know, if you've been watching the product, if you've been seeing how they've been handling stuff in, with social media and Bully Ray and all the different uh, dilemmas and the dropping tickets and, and the booking, and it, it's just been an ongoing thing. And it's like, dude, the ROH-New Japan, like, relationship is, like, virtually dead. Dude, they, they went from being one of the better American po- – American promotions to like the worst American promotion within a year. They went from being literally the number three promotion in the world. Yeah. to like now they're not even in the top like five or six. And uh, it's getting to a point where, you know, I, I think I mentioned a few weeks on a, sh- on the show. I was like, this company is not going anywhere anytime soon because they fulfill the function of what they're, of what Sinclair wants them to be. But at a certain point, if you if you stop drawing and you stop doing ratings, how long can you be financially viable for for a company like Sinclair that only wants to use you for a, a, a nice little TV rating? Right, because eventually you're, you're gonna dwindle the audience down to the point where it doesn't even make sense to run shows. So, and I think they might have already done that. Yeah, and so the the collapse of ROH has happened in such a, a short period of time, like. Um, you know, ROH is one of my favorite promotions ever in history. So it's terrible to kind of kind of see what's happening. But this, to me, almost isn't even ROH anymore. Right. And it's very sad because, I mean, ROH was a place where so many talents could go and hone their craft and get over. I mean, you look at Survivor Series, you look at all the former Ring of Honor world champions and former Ring of Honor talent that were on Survivor Series and TakeOver. Like, Ring of Honor has been responsible for producing a lot of the top American talent that are on top of the game today. Yeah. And we're, we're going to lose that. Well, that's probably true, but um, hopefully somebody gets that tape library. <laughs> yeah. At this point, like WWE or impact needs to just buy the tape library, add to their streaming services. And then ROH just needs to close the doors. Maybe new Japan can get it. Yeah, maybe. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll keep you guys posted. I, uh, I hope we did a good enough job covering it all the uh I mean there's been so many things that have been happening there's over so much so many going days. on like, it's and literally Joey Mercury pretty much every minute is sending out um text conversations that he's had with Greg and other wrestlers obviously the, you know the Newsweek article is a big thing you can check that out on Newsweek's site that kind of goes into more detail about Kelly Klein It's not a good look for this company right now No not at all and of course ROH is trying their best to deny everything and uh, but it's just not looking good for those guys. In other news, and the final bit of news for the week, uh, so this past week was the Rev Pro British J Cup, and uh, I've got the results on that. Um, from what I understand, there's no official ratings or reviews or anything like that, but from what I've seen um, online, it seems like this was like a pretty awesome event. Yeah. Um, so in the first round, uh, El Fantasmo beat uh, Senza Volto, uh, Robbie Eagles defeated El Barbaro Cavernario. Michael Oku defeated Rocky Romero. And Pac defeated the, the Amazing Red, which I'm sure was a banger. Yeah. Um, also, in singles action, Ren Narita defeated Brendan White, making his uh, Rev Pro debut. And uh, the team of Legion, which is Rampage Brown and the Great O'Karn, who are the current reigning Rev Pro Undisputed British Tag Team Champions, they defeated the team of... Uh, Moonlight, uh, the Moonlight Express, which is uh, Mao and Mike Bailey, 
who were the current reigning SWE tag team uh, champions. So this was a unification match. So Great O'Carn and Rap- Rampage Brown unifying the Rev Pro and SWE tag titles. Um, you know, the, the UK scene's doing really well. <laughs> Thanks be done. Um, but, you know, um, not to get too much off track, but hearing nothing but really good things about Great O'Carn since he made his return to Rev Pro. So looking really looking forward to seeing more from him and, um, you know, his potential return here in the future. And then um, in the main event for the British J-Cup Finals, it was a four-way elimination match. Uh, Michael Oku defeated El Fantasmo, Pac, and Robbie Eagles. And uh, that's pretty telling because, I mean, that's an elimination match. So, I mean, you know, Pac, who didn't lose for years, El Fantasmo, who's like the champion in Rev Pro, and, you know, Robbie Eagles. These are all really, really big stars. So, I mean, Michael Oku winning an elimination match over all three of these guys, that's a big deal. Right, and we've seen with this British J-Cup you know, El Fantasma won the previous year, and look where he's at right now. He's, you know, one of the top guys that they brought in into New Japan this year and has had a great year. So um, Michael Oku, he's a guy we could potentially be seeing next year. Maybe we see him in uh, best of the Super Juniors and in some junior matches next year. And also from that show, I believe there was an angle with um, Hikaleo and um, Shota Umino. And um, there's a picture going around Reddit of Umino and his gear where people are comparing him to Tanahashi. His gear looks awesome. He looks awesome, man. He already looks like a star right now. Yes. So that's great. So, yeah, so that wraps up everything for the news. Uh, So, Josh, it is your turn for the recommended match of the week. Yes, and so because we have Dome season coming up, I'm going to take it back to a January 4th Tokyo Dome. I'm uh, taking you guys back to 1996 New Japan Wrestling World in Tokyo Dome. For those of you that don't know, there's always been a January 4th Tokyo Dome since uh, about 1991, but they weren't always called Wrestle Kingdom. Some of you didn't know that. But uh, on this January 4th, it actually was one of the largest attended, and this is quote-unquote, the largest attended Tokyo Dome event in New Japan pro wrestling history and maybe all of Tokyo Dome history. But, again, it's uh, kind of like how WrestleMania three was uh, 93,000, quote-unquote. <laughs> uh, they did 64,000 in the Tokyo Dome, quote-unquote. So we don't know if that's really uh, the accurate number, but that's the reported number <laughs> in 1996. One of the biggest match, and this was literally one of the biggest uh, Tokyo Domes in history. It was headlined by uh, Nobuhiko Takada defeating Kiji Muto for the IWGB title. But the match in question that I want to recommend this week is a match between none other than the founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Antonio Inoki, as he takes on the man known as Big Van Vader. This is... uh, a recommended match on cage match. It's got an average match rating of 8.13. At the time, Dave Meltzer gave it four and a quarter stars. And this may be one of the best matches of Antonio Inoki's career. Um, Big Van Vader was making his um, uh, return to Japan. I think he had literally just been, uh, like literally just left WCW and was about to make his debut into WWF. So this was during Inoki's um, final countdown tour as he was getting ready to uh, uh, retire, ending his 35-year career. And um, people were not expecting Vader to show up. Um, long storied rivalry between these two going back to uh, the early 80s or the late 80s when Vader originally made his debut and ended Inoki's like... 
eight-year undefeated streak where he showed up and jobbed him in minutes. So the people there kind of knowing this just freaked out. You know, Vader had been working UWFI and um, working WCW and hadn't been in New Japan in a few years. And when he showed up to take on old man Inoki, people were like, my God, Inoki is going <laughs> it, to it's die. It's time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were like, yeah, and uh, this literally is one of the most vicious and violent, hard-hitting, like, uh, New Japan matches you'll ever see. Like, um, it might not be the best match of Inoki's career, but it's got to be up there. Uh, Vader made him earn every bit of, you know, uh, what he got. And, I mean, you know, we wouldn't see this version of Vader probably again until he left WWF in, like, 99 uh, when he returned to Japan and started working for... Uh, uh, all Japan. So, I mean, if you've never seen this match, do yourself a favor. It's about, I don't know, I can't remember exactly, 14, maybe 15 minutes. But um, it's an inspiring match to see Inoki go through hell and back to try and uh, obtain a win over this behemoth and this uh, this giant mammoth of a man in the prime of his career. If you've never seen it, if you want to see a crowd lose their shit, 64 quote unquote thousand in the Tokyo <laughs> Dome. Inoki versus uh Vader. You gotta see this match. I do believe it's on uh uh New Japan World and I highly recommend it. Do yourself a favor, watch that match. It was January 4th, 96. 96, yeah. Nice. Vicious. Also, one of the most scary German suplex spots you will ever see in your life. Inoki literally gets dropped on his head and his neck like two times in a row. It is, and I mean, like, with no nothing breaking it. Like, the fact that he didn't die is literally, like, I don't know how. I don't know how. Wow. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's your recommended match of the week. We'll be back later this week with a bonus episode as we do the preview for our third annual Keeping It Strong Style year-end awards. We'll be giving you... All the categories, all the nominees, releasing the link to voting. So, without for that, that should be dropping probably Friday right here on the network. And then next week, we'll be back for our two-year anniversary of Keeping It Strong Style. And we'll be having some more World Tag League coverage for you, as well as keeping you updated on all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style. I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. You can also follow us at Social Suplex. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Also, you can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy, and Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling, Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryant. On Fridays, we have Get In The Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr., Amy and Tiffany. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.